Leading Britain's conversation. You're listening to a podcast of The Steve Allen Show from LBC. Morning, everybody. It's Friday. It's the 2nd of September. Yeah, it's the weekend. Woo, it's going to rain. It's fantastic. I did watch a documentary on the telly last night about the two gay dads, uh, where they sort of, it was the most peculiar, their house is so naff. Mind you, luckily, they don't live in it anymore, but uh, it was a very peculiar documentary. We'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, Plus, uh, the Alton Towers riders trapped again. Same ride, upside down for about 40 minutes. It's becoming the place not to go to, isn't it, really? Uh, The joy in the paper of that autistic boy. Nobody at his school wants to have lunch with him because he's autistic, so he has to sit by himself. And this footballer came in and sat down and had lunch with him. I think it's the cutest picture I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, The council in the cash scandal, and the most common surnames of the past 500 years. All of that, and uh, me and you, till 7 o'clock this morning on LBC. This is sort of the early breakfast. This is is the programme that they talk about the spike. They talk about the spike, because at 4 o'clock, the whole world goes ballistic, and, you know, everybody tunes in, and it's, it's the people who are working overnight... And the people who are just sort of dropping off. When I say dropping off, it makes it sound like they're falling off the end of a cliff, but they're not really. They're sort of just going, oh, I can't stay awake any longer. Can't stay awake any longer. And then luckily they stay awake uh, quite a bit longer on this programme. So we're very happy to have your company. Uh, we don't really waste time with stupid people. I don't have enough time to do things like that. I've heard some barking mad people over my uh, career, as you can well imagine. Mind you, Eamon Holmes has probably heard some barking mad people as well. Uh, he's stepping down from Sky News. He's going to be making documentaries. I think the truth of the matter is he, he's, he's not looked well for a little while. And I was looking at him the other morning and there was more than a shade of Danny LaRue for some peculiar reason. I don't know why. I was looking at Eamon Holmes and I was thinking... They had to apologise, incidentally. They had uh, Paddy Doherty, that uh, bare-knuckle gypsy fighter on the television. And he swore, because I'm assuming that's part of the language. Actually, that was also part of the language, because they had to apologise. If anybody swears on television, they have to go, I'm terribly sorry about that. And the other people go, oh, I'm sorry about that. Pfft. F, this, C, whatever. You know, a bit like sort of all the language I should imagine in Katie Price's house. Filth from top to bottom. I shouldn't imagine she could have a decent conversation without swearing at all. And that was exactly the same with the gay dads on channel whatever it was last night. It might have been four, five or four or one of the two. I think it was five. And uh, they just swear in front of their, their children. That's all they do. I mean, if that's what they want to do, fine. Luckily, they've all disappeared off to America. So that's the best bit of news we've had in ages, because it was just a documentary about one of the gay dads, the one who's even camper than the other one. And they had these children, one's called Aspen, one's called something else. And I think they've got four children. They're delightful children. Nothing to matter with that. I just didn't understand the purpose of the programme. I didn't understand what it was all about because it didn't show me anything apart from a couple of queens showing off with how much money they had. But the house was dreadful. It really was. It was the tackiest house I've ever seen. There was nothing about it that said class, money or anything. They appeared to have stables and they had some horses. They're rather pregnant or they were very overweight horses. And I just didn't understand what the programme was about. I I really didn't understand it. I did sit there and I did try and sort of take it all in. This is uh, Barry and Drew or something, whatever they're called, I can't remember. But uh, they had these children, uh, artificial insemination, they went to America, and they've got Aspen and they've got somebody else, and I think they've got two other children. They're all perfectly nice, and one of them had his 16th birthday, and all his friends came round, and it was obviously a free party, and uh, they had pictures taken. It was lovely. It's all being done for a television programme. To prove what? I wasn't really sure. All we learnt is that there's a lot of angst... With one of the gay dads, there's a lot of chips on shoulders there. You know, I don't care what anybody thinks about him. He quite clearly does, because they've decided to up roots 
and uh, take the kids away from school and their friends and go and live in America. I mean, at one point, the girl wasn't going to go. I think Saffron was the girl. She didn't want to go. She wasn't interested. She wanted to stay here. And uh, he said, do you want me to buy you a business or something like that? And it was just, it was all a bit naff. It was just, and I can't describe it as anything other than that. It was one of those waste of time television programmes. It was. It didn't demonstrate anything to me at the end. It didn't de- demonstrate anything about the relationship between the uh, between the gay dads and their children. Um, I wanted to hear more from the children about what it was like, you know, growing up having two having two gay fathers. But I didn't get anything out. Then they admit halfway through the fathers did one of them that they get fifteen hate mails every uh, emails every month from people. And I thought, well, of course you do. Of course you do. Because, you know, there are people who are very intolerant nowadays. There are people who don't like certain people. And so if you're gay, they've got, why are you gay and all this, you know, and you're bad bringing up children and all this. I mean, they all seem perfectly happy. It's just that I thought, I thought we were sold the fact that they're sort of multi-millionaires. They, in fact, they played it on the millionaire kind of thing. Well, it was just tacky. I mean, their house just looked like, it was down a lane. Obviously, you couldn't find it. They didn't have house numbers. And this woman turns up to do the makeup for somebody, I don't know who, perhaps the boy, I, I really don't know. And she thought that one of the gay dads was one of the staff, and he went he went sort of semi-ballistic. He had a bit of a queenie tantrum. But anyway, they went to South End for the day, and the kids weren't that impressed by it. They just went on the railway. It was an opportunity to find something interesting to talk about, as opposed to the fact they're two very boring people, and they've got children. And that's it. And if you don't, if you don't have anything to offer, and they didn't appear to have anything to offer apart from they bought their own children, which is great. You know, they're their children and they're two gay dads. But I mean, I think enough is enough. He said the reason we go to America uh, is because we can walk down the street and nobody knows who we are. Nobody knows who the kids are. So they're not going to get targeted because I should imagine they seem to have quite normal friends. But just at the end of the day, I watched this programme. I came away with a feeling of emptiness. I came away with a feeling of what was the point of that? Apart from they obviously like the publicity. They obviously enjoy showing off. But if my house was as naff as that, I'd not be putting it on the television, let me tell you. Uh, The good story of the day is the autistic boy. I'll come around to that later. I mean, I like a good story because we go into the weekend and uh, and it's been... God, it's been a busy week. I'm interviewed out this week. Yesterday I did Stefan Dom. It was like whirling dervishes they came in. And uh, we had a a good chat, very good chat, which you're going to be hearing this weekend for In Conversation. And we also did Geoffrey Archer yesterday. And we always have a good conversation, Geoffrey Archer. No matter what you think about him, we always have a good conversation. We'll always talk about everything. So we talked about charity auctions. We talked about his uh, his latest book. You can pre-order, which is the end of the Chronicles. And that comes up, I think, in November. It's already, I think it's about number 43, and it's not even published. It's not even published yet. Because people want to know what happens at the end of the Chronicles. And I'm not about to uh, to change anything and tell you. What happens? I don't need to do things like that. It's not my sort of role in life. Uh, Next week, I've got the Hairy Bikers coming in on Monday. They've got a fabulous cookbook out. I mean, it really does look wonderful. It really does look very, very nice indeed. And uh, my good friend Alan Titchmarsh is going to be coming in. And lovely Jilly Cooper. So we've got, a, we've got a nice week next week. We're stockpiling, as they say. Stockpiling. Uh, Malcolm says, on this morning, there was a woman who was totally convinced that the spirit of her dead dog had returned and held conversations with her. I thought she should see Derek Acora. D- he does speak canine. canine. <laughs> Do you remember when he did it on the programme? His, his body was inhabited. He's such an old fraud, honestly. <laughs> by a dog. And he started howling. Woo! Woo! And it was, uh, people go, go away, you silly person. So ridiculous, honestly. But uh, unfortunately, there is no spirit of your dead dogs. 
There's nothing like that. Nothing happens. You know, one, one, once you die, finished. Absolutely finished. Who was it who did something the other day? Somebody was saying, so where, where do you go when you die? And somebody said, well, nowhere. You just, you don't go anywhere. There's nowhere to go to. It's nice if you want to believe that you go somewhere. But, you know, if I was going anywhere, it better be with a blooming fish and chip shop. I'm not doing it any other way. I refuse to leave this mortal coil unless there's a fish and chip shop up there and they can do proper, because I've never found one in years, beef burger in batter. Whew. Beef burger, the fat would drip off it. I never used to think at the time that's going into my stomach. You don't think about stuff like that. You really don't. But uh, had a lovely time yesterday. Yesterday was very nice. Got back. As I say, we didn't manage to have the guard on the train with the verbal diarrhoea. We didn't want to go through that one again. Although, actually, I spoke to somebody who said, oh, I tell you it was, it was Tim. Tim, who reads for, uh, for Capital, he said he had somebody very similar on his train. He said, I was howling with laughter when you were telling me the story of this bloke on the train. Because <laughs> people wrote in to me and said, perhaps he was training to take over from the Steve Allen show. I said, excuse me, I don't do verbal diarrhoea. I don't do things like that. I, this, this is all carefully crafted. You might think this programme is thrown together in about ten minutes. I'm telling you, we had a rehearsal this morning before we start. Only it worked for the beginning of the programme. But anyway, that's another story. That's another story. No, it would be going fine, wasn't it? But uh, no, you have to... You can't just go on air. You know, and I get... I, I do get people over the years... In fact, I fell out with a friend of mine who said, what you do is easy. And I said, uh, I said, do you think so? I said, well, you can't do it. I said, I've been doing it for ages. I said, there is... There must be some sort of skill to it. You can either... It's like people who can sort of, you know, do... Um, you know, operations. I couldn't do an operation. I couldn't even do a, an autopsy or anything. There's certain things that people can't do and uh, and certain things that they can't do. And uh, that would be one of them. Uh, the good news is that Kate Moss has set a wedding date. She's going to get married to that uh, Nikolai von Bismarck. Thank God for that. Perhaps it'll keep him out of the papers. The hit and run driver, 16 times over the drug limit. 16 times over the drug limit. Too many of these drugs around. And as we've proven now, um, you know, just having one joint, or I think they call it a, sp- a spliff, uh, just one of those can seriously affect your judgment. But of course, the, you know, the druggies. Oh, right, mate. <sighs> Off back with the 60s, I think. The sun sets on Eamon Holmes. As I say, he's, uh, he's finally quitting uh, before it just collapsed. The only thing I've often wondered with that programme, and not particularly him, how big is their audience? How big is the audience for Sky News? Because I've got a sneaking feeling it's one man and his dog. I don't think anybody watches it. I don't think anybody watches it. They waste an awful lot of money. But it's just always been there. And I think it's like a tax loss. You know, we'll just shove people on there. And they pay them an awful lot of money. And uh, and then Eamon said he wanted to thank people who'd actually um, been watching him uh, with his unique... What did he call it? His unique spin on things. I thought, what, reading auto cue? What spin was that? Perhaps he'll spend more time at home with Ruth. But she's thinking about getting a granny flat, I should imagine. Um, BA's on the menu at KFC. It's Friday. I might have a piece of KFC today. I could do with a piece of KFC. I love KFC. Not supposed to have it. It's bad for you. I know. I've seen the way your shirts have gone. And um, you've looked at the Sky News figures. They're low, aren't they? I thought they were low. Somebody said to me, a, a, a journalist the other day, I can't say who it is, very well known. And, uh, and I said, what are the... Or- I'm not at liberty to discuss things. Not with you, Mr Gobby. No secrets with you, are there? Honestly, you tell you something, it's like sending it round on the jungle drums. It's ridiculous. You can't keep things secret. I've no I've told you confidential things in the past, and you've just told every one of your Australian friend. It's ridiculous going out there spreading rumours and telling lies. I'm not overweight. 
So anyway, so we were talking about the Sky News. The only reason I was talking about it is because the way that the Sky News people go, and you get all the people who go on to do the newspapers, it's a motley collection, a motley collection of people who, to be honest with you, you wouldn't even enter, you know, into your house if they turned up at the front door, you know, that'd be it, I'm afraid. We'd have to lock the thing. They've got all sorts of people from somebody, you know, who used to teach Jade Goody dance or something. I don't know what it is. It's a bit dreary. They've got a warm-up man. There's a couple of people I know on there. And you think to yourself, it's very expensive for no audience. Very expensive for no audience. But they have to keep doing it. So, Eamon Holmes saying, you know, I'd like to thank all the people who sort of watched over the years. Uh, who? That's what I want to know. Who? I've never met anybody who's ever watched it. I mean, we watch it here because I've got it up in the uh, in the studio because they get faster with the news. But to be honest with you, I think uh, it's it's a case of there's, there's just, you know, the camera operators watching it. Very expensive set. No audience. And so he said, you know, I'd like to thank you for, for watching and for my spin. I think he said my spin or something like that, actually. Uh, if ever you go to Queen's Park, uh, Steve, there's a chip shop opposite the tube station. And they do a very good beef burger in batter. Do I sound like the sort of person who's going to go to Queen's Park? Yes, because I used to live in Queen's Park uh, for many, many years. Harvest Road is where I used to live. It was one of those, um, what do they call it? Bedsit areas. And uh, me and three girls had a flat. Look, at interested now, aren't you? Now you want to be my... I'm not surprised you want to come out for lunch with me and my friends. Because we know people, whereas you don't. Yes, me and uh, me and three girls used to share this flat. They were all at uh, trainee ballet dancers. They would walk around the flat naked, literally all day long. It was it was. Uh, but the trouble is, you took it for granted. It never sort of you know you didn't sort of. When I used to bring friends back, you know, you'd have to say, "Listen, there is there is the chance that Angela might be stark naked in the sitting room," and they go, "Really?" And you go, "Yeah." And you'd walk in and Angela would be stark naked. And nobody ever, we didn't bother. We were sort of, we were free. We were young. We were single. We were having fun on no money at all. Eight pound a week I was earning. Eight quid a week, which was really terrible. We didn't have any food in our cupboard. In fact, to be honest with you, I could fit into size 28 inch waist jeans. I could wear the girl's clothes. I was that thin. Then it all went horribly wrong when I earned money. You see, there is evil in this world. It's terrible. It's called money. Don't want to do it. But I don't know what we existed on. I really don't know what we existed. I can't remember having any food in the flat. We didn't have takeaways. They weren't around at the time. What did we eat? We must have just had a portion of chips. That must have just must have just served us quite well. Eight quid a week, honestly. I thought I'd arrived. Eight pound a week. And wearing the girls' jeans. Small wonder we've ended up the way we are. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. So anyway, going back to me and my stories, <laughs> when I used to live in London, when I first came up to London, I, I came up with a, a friend of mine called Rick. And Rick was a very popular mobile disc jockey. Mobile DJs were very popular. And it meant that you had a couple of decks and you had some speakers and you had an amplifier and a light show and stuff like that. And it, Rick... Uh, I can't remember what's, well, I can remember his surname, but it doesn't matter now because he might not even be with us anymore. And he was like the biggest thing in Berkshire. He was huge. He had these huge orange speakers which had rope at the front of them. I mean, that you could literally throw these things off a cliff and they'd still work. And, uh, and it was it was very interesting, actually, very, very interesting that uh, he was very, very successful. So we both applied. I'd seen an advert in... Uh, a newspaper. Which one was it? It might have been Melody Maker or there was another one as well. And I think they were looking for DJs for a London circuit. 
No, it wouldn't have been. No, we wouldn't have been. We wouldn't have done NME. That was considered. That was for sort of rock people. NME. This was smash hits, pops. I don't know. I can't remember. Anyway, we saw it, and and he said he'd seen it as well. And I said I'm going to come up to London to audition for this thing. Bearing in mind, I had a little mobile setup, but it was nothing like Rick's, and I didn't have the music, and I didn't have the the, the gift of the gab or anything like that. I was just sort of I was sort of bumbling my way through it. So we both came up to London. And we both went to the castle in Richmond. And um, and we auditioned. We auditioned for this company called Goodhues, who owned lots of nightclubs in and around London, Croydon, Ealing, Tottenham, all over the place. And when we went to the castle, it was the first time in my life in Richmond that I'd ever been into a purpose-built disco, which had lights and booths and go-go dancers um, things, which were lights on th- and lights above them and all the rest of it. It was all singing, all dancing, and a built-in concert. It's not terribly flash. And we auditioned. And I can't remember what I did. I have no idea what I did. I cannot tell you for the life of me. It was so long ago, I can't remember. Anyway, suffice to say, I actually got the job and Rick didn't get the job, which surprised me because he was far more experienced than I was. But there must have been something about me. Perhaps I was what they were looking for or anything like that. So I, I get the gig at eight quid a night, eight quid a night, one gig. One gig. That's all I got to start with. And, and I can remember, th- eight, at the end of the night, you got paid. Eight pound cash. Pound notes. Whew, dear. That was happy days. Very happy days. I'd never seen so much money. Then I think we started eating wimpies. I think up until that time, I don't think we'd eaten anything at all. And so, on the first day I was there, it was a Halloween party, and they brought in trees, real trees, which they strapped to the pillars in the discotheque, and they'd hung bits of cotton down over the doors. It was all quite elaborate. I don't think they go to that kind of effort nowadays. And, uh, and they had some go-go dancers there. One was called Diane, and we got chatting, because they were rehearsing for their bits, and what you would do is you would have the discotheque, and then every so often... The girls would come onto their podiums, the lights would flicker all the way round on top of them and underneath, and, uh, and they would go-go dance. And uh, very good. But then in sparkly bikinis, they would get sparkly bikinis, which they would get normal uh, bras and knickers, and they would sew sequins onto them. And that would be... And it was really good. I mean, it was really, really good. It seems terribly dated now when you look at pole dancing and stuff like that. This was sort of the early days of um, a bit of sexercise. And people would stand there staring up at the girls... And uh, I got very friendly. And then I ended up going back to their place. It, it's, it was easier, actually, to actually do that than drive all the way back home to Berkshire. So I, I went and stayed with them in a place in Chelsea called Dasker House, which they were borrowing at the time. And, uh, and then we moved in together. We, we decided to take, take a flat together uh, down in Queen's Park. How Queen's Park? I've got no idea. I don't know why we ended up there. And all I remember is it was eight quid a week each. So I think, there were th- I think there were three of us. Occasionally other people popped in. So it was about £24 a week, the rent on this place. And all you got was a sitting room uh, and two bedrooms and a kitchen and bathroom. And I always remember that Diane used to clean her teeth in the bath. I'm the only person I've ever met who cleaned her teeth in the bath. I mean, have you ever heard of such a thing before? But uh, we, we, we survived for, uh, for quite a while like that, doing the rounds of the King's Road, all the nightclubs and everything else. And then eventually... We sort of parted, and I went on to do other things, and they went on to do other things. And Diane, and we, we kept in contact for, for quite a while. She came back over from France. She was working at uh, the Lido in Paris, which is, uh, which is a big venue. You get lots of Japanese businessmen who go there, and they fall asleep. Because they're doing the tour, and they say, and you're going to see a, a big Parisian show. And the Bluebell girls are very tall 
very tall. They go from 16 up to probably about 22, 23, something like that. And uh, Diane was a Bluebell girl. And the first year she was there, she, she'd gone over in the winter. She was auditioned in this country by a bloke who lived down in Brighton. And she goes over there and she, she wrote me this long letter saying, you've no idea what we have to do to be in this show. Everybody thinks it's all glamorous, she said. You get into the theatre, you're not allowed to tan, so you can't go sunbathing because that gives you tan marks and they don't want that. Uh, the work was mainly topless, but because it was jewellery and everything else and lights and all sorts of bits of it, you wouldn't really notice. Well, you would if you looked, obviously, but, I mean, it, it, it wasn't... wasn't sticking out in front of you. It really wasn't that obvious to do it. She said, so you, ha- you, you get into the theatre an hour before the show. She said, you have to get changed. Can't put your costume on because you've got to put your, uh, your knickers on and go and stand in a plastic tent and a little old French man with a, with a fag in his mouth sprays you brown. She said, it's as, in the middle of winter, it's freezing cold. You go, so it's a bit like a spray tan, only it's the cut. Then you've got to stand there while it dries then you've got to go back to the dressing room. Then you've got to start putting on the uh, the costumes. And it's all feathers and rhinestones and battery packs in the back of your knickers. You know, I mean, it's it, it was really quite something. She sent me all these pictures of what it was like backstage. And I thought, it wasn't at all glamorous. I remember thinking at the time, it's going to be really glamorous. And then she went to work in Barcelona. And I think from there she went to... Vegas, because the dancer's life in in shows in America, dancers work much later. So they're much older over here. 15 and 16, you can get work in in shows uh, on the seaside. They're always looking for people. There was a great series you remember called Dancers on the television. And I knew a number of people who were in it. And I remember thinking at the time, it's it's very interesting. It's very hard work for, for very little reward. But if you do it, it's because you want to do it, which is quite nice. Tesco do a spam fritter, says Bob. I'm not going to Tesco. And Dell says, Steve Allen and two go-go dancers. Oh, quite a few go-go dancers. Quite a few go-go dancers. Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes, the, the Steve Allen early years. I mean, we spent most of our time, most of our time going up the King's Road to uh, the Chelsea Drug Store, as it was called, which again had uh, go-go dancers. And it was like a disco bar. People wandered in and out. And it was, I thought it was the best time in London. If only we'd had the money to enjoy it. Of course, now you've got the money to enjoy it. Now you don't enjoy it as much. And, you know, and to me, an idea of going out is going out for dinner with, with friends or something like that. That's about, uh, that's about all. Although my, my friend uh, the other day who lives down in Brighton, she phoned me because she... We were a bit naughty. She's a big, big fan of Ricky Gervais. Big, big fan of Ricky Gervais. And she was up in London to celebrate her birthday and we were going off for dinner with friends later in the evening. And so she said, you've got Ricky Gervais coming in. I said, yeah. She said, you haven't. I said, I have. So she said... Can I come in? She said, if I sit in the corner and don't, and don't say anything. And so that's exactly what she did. She came in, she sat in the corner, and she just sat there with her mouth open all the time. Anyway, yesterday she phoned me, and uh, still a big fan. And that Ricky Gervais interview is on YouTube. My interview with Ricky Gervais is on YouTube. And, uh, and she said she went to see the film. She said, and you were exactly right. She said, it was some bits made you laugh out loud. She said, other bits, she went... Oh, no, you feel a bit sorry for him. There's a lot of pathos in there. She said, so uh, I'm glad I came and sat in the studio. I'm glad I, glad I came in and, uh, and was able to see him. The, the funny thing is I couldn't actually manage to um, to introduce her because I didn't know what to introduce her as, so I think I put her down as my assistant or something like that. We don't do that very often. We really don't. Malcolm says it's a special night in Blackpool tonight. Yes, the illuminations go on tonight. And who's doing it? It's the fabulous Dame Barbara Windsor. 
He says, I may go along and watch. Oh, you should do. I hope the weather's going to be nice. I'll tell you the weather a bit later on, because I thought it was uh, going to rain over this weekend. But uh, yesterday, I did manage to stay awake until it was time to go to bed, but it was a wee bit of a struggle. Wee bit of a struggle. And uh, I thought, oh, I've got the energy. You know, when you get to that stage where you think, I really don't have the energy for this. And at the moment I climb into bed, I'm out for the count. But at least it's Friday and I've got no interviews to do today. So one of those rare days this week where when I finish, I can leave. So that, that's what I like, actually. It's not being lazy or anything like that. We were talking about lazy people the other day. They used to call them show-and-go presenters. That's what they called them. So people who finished the show, and they'd be walking out the building before the, before the jingles had finished. And I remember saying to people I know in the business, that, where are you going? They go, I'm going home. I go, oh, right, you finished, have you? This would be like five minutes before the official end of the programme. Show-and-go presenters. I remember going for an interview once somewhere, and, and the, the person said to me, I don't want a show-and-go presenter. And so I, of course, said I'm not a show and go presenter, which, of course, I was. <laughs> you finished doing the programme because once you've done a radio, pro- what can you do? You can't go back and relive the moment. I'm not the sort of person to sit down. It's not like a television programme where you analyse it. A radio programme, you do it and it's gone and it either gets an audience or it doesn't get an audience. If it gets an audience, you're on a win, a win win situation. It's hanging on to the audience. That's the clever trick. LBC, perhaps we should start analysing it. Yes. While on the bus. Analyzing the radio program. Okay, so the first bit, did you think that was funny? Did you think that was interesting? No, I thought it was educational. Well, this program is speech. It's speech radio. I remember somebody saying to me once, What sort of music do you play? I thought, Well, whatever drugs you've smoked, you have that music in your mind. We, we, we don't do music on the program. We have done, but, um, but not now. So if you, if, if you want to tune, you're, you're with the wrong station. You've just got Steve Allen till seven. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Matthew says, uh, the next time you get an air freshener for your car, try the Retro Refresher Car Air Fresheners, the fragrances of chew bars. I'm sorry, Matthew. I mean, you're obviously listening to the wrong programme. I have leather seats in my car. We don't need air fresheners. It smells of leather. OK. I never take vegetarians because they get slightly upset by it. I have to cover them over with bin liners. But uh, no, it's, it's leather seats, so the car smells of leather. I can't do anything about it. I wouldn't have an air freshener if you paid me. And it certainly wouldn't be something like retro refresher smelling of chew bars. If I was going to have anything, it'd be Joe Malone or or something equally exotic, you know, a posh kind of thing. I certainly wouldn't be having an air freshener in the car. It's very nice, actually. Very nice of you to think that maybe I would have. Obviously, you don't know the programme. Uh, Stephen Dixon, says Amanda, on uh, Sky News, is my secret, uh, my guilty secret. I just quietly adore him. Yes, I think you'd be barking up the wrong tree, Amanda. I think so. He's a sperm donor, apparently, for uh, for a lot of lesbians. I don't know why I mentioned that or, if, or even knew about it, but uh, he is. So there you go. Uh, Tricia says, we went to the National Portrait Gallery restaurant on the third floor. Lovely. We had a window seat overlooking the rooftops of the sites of London. You'd love it. See with the Magic Circle, which is creeping up very soon. It certainly is. It certainly is. In fact, it's creeping up even even faster than I thought. Uh, and then somebody wrote, what did somebody write to me a minute ago? <laughs> I always like these sort of people. It always means, because you know that they're, they're obviously people who smoke joints, because he wrote exactly the same thing a month ago, which always worries you. And uh, his name's Mick. And he says, Jesus, which always indicates to me, slightly stoned, don't you ever say anything nice? Well, we do, but obviously we haven't listened to the programme for any length of time, so it's, uh, yeah. And also, you know, you, you, you go back to your spliff, mate, all right? <sighs> OK, good. I'm sure it'll keep you keep you going. Uh, Mark in Wakefield, he says, uh, do you have to be trained to do what you do? No, I don't think so. I mean, there are places where you can go to to learn the basics, but I don't think you can train somebody to be a presenter. 
You're either a presenter. That's why you've got Nigel Farage, I think, this Saturday morning in for Katie Hopkins. He's going to be here. And some people have either got the ability to talk and some people don't have the ability to talk. And those ones who don't, don't make it onto radio. Those ones who can do it and can do it effortlessly, trying not to get their words screwed up, and to make it sound entertaining, get jobs as presenters. That's how it works. But only on a station like this. If you're going for a music station, you only need to do This Is, That Was, a time check, and then the, the, the station I dent, because the, there's no time for doing anything else, because people are listening on music stations, except on, say, breakfast shows and, and other things. Uh, they're listening to the music. It's the music. If you tune into LBC, which you have done, you're, you, you obviously enjoy conversation. I get no end of people who tune in the radio at four o'clock in the morning. See, if you like this, I was working at the wedding of the gay dads. After the wedding, they left in the same horse and carriage that was used at the wedding of Katie Price and Peter Ondrex. Such class, says Murray. <laughs> well, I'd say that if their house is anything to go by, or was anything to go by, uh, no class at all. And the language in front of the children. I mean, I'm, I'm not a prude, but, you know, they made themselves out to be a little bit naff. Little bit naff. Uh, 84850, steve at uk, And uh, another one here. This is uh, somebody called Phil. He says you played rubbish music on, on Blue Danube. You're joking. That was their equivalent of Radio 1. What, are you stupid or something? You're obviously a liar. Because uh, the music was absolutely top, top notch on there. Top notch. We played everything that was in the charts. Because the thing about it, and obviously that's the thing that Phil, Phil doesn't know, uh, because he's, he's poorly educated, so I shall educate him now, is that Blue Danube was an offshoot of Erdrei. Uh, which was the biggest radio station in the country. The ORF, the Österreicher Rundfunk, is the equivalent of the BBC over there. We were in a building with more than 5,000 people. It's huge, absolutely huge. And they've got the equivalent of Radio 1, 2, 3 and 4. I mean, they have a music department which is... Well, I, I can't sort of equate on what sort of size it is. Something roughly akin to two galleries in the National Portrait Gallery. I mean, just enormous, full of records. Now, of course, it's all changed, but the, all their technicians wear white coats. There was never rubbish music. It was always perfect. It was always geared. And I'll tell you why it was so good, because it was geared for the Americans over there at uh, UN City. That's what it was geared for. So it was always top music, absolutely. So uh, there you go. Shame you know nothing about it, Phil, but at least I've educated you. Another one on drugs, I should imagine. Uh, still talking about trying to find how many songs I've got on my uh, telephone. And apparently on this particular phone, you can't. You can't work out how many songs you've got on it because of something. It's on, uh, I can't remember what it is, but somebody did tell me. And Apple said the same thing, so that's why. Thanks for travelling with, uh, with your cab company today. How would you rate them? Zero today. Zero today. Car pulls in. I get in the back. Yes, he says. I said, should we go? He said, um, who are you? That's what they talk to you. That's how they talk to you in the morning. You feel like saying, I'm paying your wages. What do you mean, who am I? What do you mean, who am I? I said, you've pulled onto my property. I said, who do you think I am? So he said, uh, where are you going? I said, we're going to London. I thought, I mean, he might have hijacked this vehicle. I mean, it's, it's, it's literally like the Third Reich. You go through this interrogation process. So, so I showed him my phone and said, look, there you go. You've sent me the message saying that you've arrived. But who are you? And I wanted to say... Are you stupid? You're not an Uber driver, are you, or something like that? But I didn't say that. I kept my mouth buttoned up. So I said, I tell you what, look, I'll phone your phone to prove it's me, shall I? So I phoned his phone. I went, look, that's me calling you. Now drive. God in heaven, honestly. Where do they get stupid people from nowadays? 
I have. Paragraph three. Oh, yes. Oh, the paragraph three thing, because Ian Dale's doing this. I heard about this yesterday. Uber, Uber, of which I've never been in, have won the right to take TfL to court over rules which would see drivers forced to take a £200 English exam. It's very interesting that the CEO of Addison Lee will give Ian his view. I'd like to give him a few views of mine. I'm quite sure he'd enjoy that. So, in other words, drivers are not going to be forced to take an English exam. Who was it I was talking to the other day? Who was it I was talking to? Somebody here. Oh, it was, it was one of our presenters in the building. He gets to the, his car. He's booked an Uber car. Don't ask me why. It's nothing to do with me. OK, don't start writing in, because I'm really not here. I shall delete you and put you in the junk box and you'll never be heard of ever again. All right? No friends. And he got in. He's got a cup of coffee from one of the leading coffee houses. They were available everywhere with a lid. And the driver go, he gets in the car. It's booked. And the driver goes, you can't have a drink out. You can't have a drink and so he said, it's sealed. It's got a lid on it. I'm drinking it going into it. He knew who he was. Knew who he was. Anyway, the Uber driver gets out and starts trying to drag him out of the car. I mean, I think we should be equipped with tasers, ladies and gentlemen. I've never heard anything like it. And um, so he starts trying to get him out. Then another Uber driver pulls in and starts saying to the other Uber driver, what are you doing? He goes, he's got a drink in the car and I've told him no drinks in the car. And you think, have they completely lost all sense of reality? It's getting completely out of hand. It's getting completely out of hand. It's all very worrying. But uh, I said, what did you do? He said, I found another car to take me. I said, well, that's what you should do. Kick these people where it hurts. Much easier, isn't it? Uh, 84850, Steve at LBC. Uh, Amanda says, this will be the Blackpool Illuminations. Yes, I do know what Blackpool Illuminations are. And uh, the place you hate. Absolutely. Absolutely hate. Never like Blackpool. It is, it is trailer trash. The whole place is trailer trash. Surely not being swayed, Mr. Allen, says a man. No, absolutely not. No, it's still a dump. Forecast looks OK, though. So that's good news. Oh, no, it's, it's Barbara. I'm not interested in Blackpool. It's a dump. It's an absolute dump. It's the only place you go up to the amusement arcades and there's all these chavvy people trying to rock the machines to make the money fall out. It really is. It's, lo- it's, it's low life. It really is. Uh, Nikki says, have you noticed more and more people seem to use the F word lately? Well, in the, the two gay dads, it was uh, part of their everyday conversation. Imagine if you turned on the radio... And you were hearing somebody swearing all, all over the place. I mean, that would just be ridiculous, wouldn't it? Absolutely ridiculous. And uh, Scott the cabbie, yes. Yes is the answer. Uh, David is in Highbury. David. He's really Dave. He's obviously tried to sort of elevate himself. And he says, I've been listening to you for a few months now whilst battling depression. Oh, here we go. This is where I'm going to be blamed for it now. And he says, but I'm now on the good side of recovery. He said, every morning you got me in stitches. I've never touched you. I don't even know you. OK, never been anywhere near you. What medical surgery you go through is your problem. Uh, a drop of rain is needed in Kent, says Trev. Oh, I think the whole of Kent needs a deluge. Actually, the whole country needs a bit of a deluge. Just to clean everything up a little bit, including my car. But I, 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 I agree, you know, just please just a little bit of rain. I'm, I'm not looking for, for a sort of tsunami. And, uh, oh, here we go. Mick's come back again. Oh, God. You're so rude. <laughs> you, you, you go back to your drugs, actually. He says, I'm 58. You have no right to say what you said. I have every right. Every right. Because you're a rude, ignorant little man. I love it when you can do that. Wait a minute. I'm going to put you out of your misery. Here we go. There's that. And no friends. <laughs> Sorry. Always makes the producer a nice smile. So, bye-bye, Mick. You go back to your dreary little existence. Uh, Another one. uh, Ryan says, uh, you're too much this time of the morning. He said, don't start me on Uber drive. Please do not start about Uber drive. I'm not remotely interested. I don't want to talk about it. I don't care. All right? So, if you write anything and it's got the word Uber in there, 
I'm going to delete you. OK, just be warned. I only warn you now because I don't want you sobbing into your handkerchief. And go, oh, Steve Allen blocked me. I don't want any of that kind of stuff. We don't do that kind of thing at all. Yes, team no friends will be gaining a lot of new friends. OK, that's it. Uh, what else do we have? Oh, the Alton Towers thing. Even one father said, he said, I don't want to go on this ride called Smiler. There's the one thing you don't is smile. He said, even my son wants to go on it. And he said, I don't want to go on it. So, well, don't go on it then. Don't go on it. It's, but that's what people go to Alton Towers for. I only went there for the log flume. It's miles away. Seriously, miles away. It was like four hours on a coach. I, thought, oh, we went, I know we went on a coach. We were very common in those days. Uh, we've got all the surnames coming up for you a little bit later on. And the story of the gypsy couple uh, who kept a slave tied to a tree for 30 years. Filth, disgusting pond life. They've gone to prison. Uh, really, absolutely ghastly people. Absolutely ghastly people. Really. And it's not the first case we've heard of this kind of thing. People keeping people slaves. Uh, 84850, Steve at lbc.co.uk. Uh, I was going to do you the weather, actually. I was going to do you the weather, and I thought, no, let's not do it just... Let's save it for later. And uh, Michael says, did you feel a great sense of adventure when you left home? Um... I don't know, actually. I'm trying to think, actually. Did I feel a great sense of it? Not really, because you, you've always been... And I left home, I think, at about... Oh, I don't know. It might have been about 17, I think. 17, 18, something like that. Of course, I mean, you always get that argument from your parents. You won't survive. You won't survive without your... Ma- Where we did our washing, I've got no idea. I think we must have gone to one of those laundromats and watched things going around. But all I remember is... We didn't have any money. And I remember going to the cupboard one day, and I've done it frequently, and opened up the cupboard, and it was completely bare. Nothing in it at all. Nothing. And so it was a case, in those days, if you didn't have any money, you didn't eat. And I didn't have any money. We had to, had to go on the rent. Sometimes the girls would come home and we'd sort of share, you know, some chips or something like that. But I don't remember ever, ever going out for a meal in London. Might have bought a wimpy. I can't remember if there was any burger places. What would we have bought? Lord knows. But I don't remember eating food, which makes it sound a bit bad, doesn't it, really? What did you eat? I don't know. Cardboard, I suppose. I must have done something. But I do not remember it. I do not remember. But uh, Michael says, when you, I, I worked nights and met a new group of friends and a life I never knew existed, sharing a flat with some interesting flatmates, as did you. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, um, I didn't think it was anything unusual, sharing a flat. We didn't have any furniture. There was just, I remember in the sitting room, and I could take you through it in my mind now, we had a small black and white television, which didn't go on most of the time, because we, we talked. We talked. The girls would spend their time sort of doing that. They used to dry their hair in front of a small fan heater, because they both had very long hair. And uh, the fan heater would be a little bit quicker. The fact it was racking up on the old meter was neither here nor there. There was nothing in the kitchen. There was a table and two chairs. The bathroom just had a bath and a toilet in it. And, and that was it. But there was a constant stream of people coming back. Because the girls were working in, uh, in clubs, go-go dancing, so people would come back. And you'd, you'd sort of wake up in the morning, be people sprawled all over the sitting room. There'd be half-empty bottles of wine, which, of course, I didn't drink in those days. I didn't drink at all. So how we existed, I've got, no, I must have just drunk water. Small wonder I was thin. Small wonder I was thin. But uh, he says, my outlook on London life and what life could offer, not, not boring anymore. Oh, no, London, I thought was fabulous. I loved London. I'm coming from a little hick town in Berkshire. London was absolutely brilliant. You know, there was everything going on. And we did it all on no money. We seemed to entertain ourselves. We seemed to go out there. I think occasionally we used to take a, a taxi, a black taxi. And that was considered a bit of a luxury. A little bit of a luxury. Uh, I've been a driver for celebrities and I wouldn't dream of telling somebody they can't take a drink into the car, says Michael. You know, because you give the uh, the client whatever they need because they pay your wages. I know. 
It's the it's the arrogance. It's sort of the it's it's the arrogance. It's the sort of you know who are you? Well, who do you think I am? This is the coordination. Here's your little map. That'll be me. There's nobody else here, is there? At one point, I said to him, "I tell you what, shall I get out and drive myself in?" I wanted to do the um, the uh, the line of uh, you know I do this journey six days a week. You know I'm spending a lot of money, a lot of money. You know, you just need to do a little bit of, I'm sorry. You know, I should know who you are. I'm not expecting to know who I am, but I'm expecting at the coordinates to try and work out that maybe I am that person because I've got it on the phone. I showed it to him on the phone and he looked blankly at me. Perhaps he's a former Uber driver. Who knows? And then they have the audacity to say, how would you rate the driver? <laughs> I didn't. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. Ten minutes to five. It's Steve Allen's early breakfast through until seven o'clock this morning. It's Friday. It's going to be a great day. There is a picture that a mum has taken of a horror scene. It's uh, a teenage gang in Harlow. Uh, I'm sure their parents would be absolutely delighted to see their children in there uh, because a number have uh, been questioned by the police uh, after they set upon a 40-year-old Polish man as he ate a pizza in the town centre. They said... Those people who witnessed it said they behaved like animals. I mean, I don't know what families they come from, but I've got a rough idea. I've got a rough idea. And so this picture was taken. Uh, police last night have extended the lockdown. I mean, who do these little kids think they are? Why are their parents not been taken into custody? Because it's quite clearly bad parenting, bad children. It's as simple as that. It's no, no two ways about it. These feral gangs, uh, somebody said of Harlow, once it's dark, you don't go out. Well, I would be going out. I wouldn't be put off by these little tow rags. Wouldn't make any difference to me at all. Uh, the families have blasted police for not acting sooner in the area, where a violent crime is reported every four hours. One mum tells of screaming and fighting every night. These parents should be prosecuted. They should be taken into court and prosecuted for allowing their children out at, uh, you know, late, late hours. Six boys. Six boys. Five aged 15 and a 16-year-old have been arrested on suspicion of murder and bailed. I bet they'll be... Uh, I mean, a man was arrested after allegedly hurling racist abuse on Swindon High Street. A man of 26 was in custody last night. What's the matter with these people? They've got screws loose. And a little gang of 15-year-olds. I tell you, separate them, they scream like girls. They really do. They're not all big and brash and all the rest of it. They just think they are. But they're not. And uh, the sooner they're taken off the streets, the better. I think what they should do... The police should go round late at night, confiscate all their bikes so they have to walk home, and crush them. Simple as that. Want to buy new ones? The police will take them away and crush them. It's as simple as that. Let's not waste time anymore. I'm sick to death of these feral kids with their feral parents. It's disgusting. It really is. They should. These people should be taken and dumped off in an eye. Years ago, we took them to Australia. Perhaps we'll start doing that again, I think. Um, uh, Mark says, I understand you don't like Blackpool. I don't, where are you from? I mean, you understand I don't like Blackpool. I hate Blackpool. It's a dump. It's for people of lower classes. It's got hotels on the seafront with, written in big letters, hot and cold running water, free breakfast, colour television, and all the, f- all the baskets in the front of all the flowers. They're all plastic. It's a dump. It's an absolute dump. It is the hell of the north. It's the kind of place that you don't want to be seen dead in it. It's so awful. It's like, what, what is appealing about Blackpool? Years and years ago, it was lovely. You know, it was the entertainment capital of the North, and it was this... But, I mean, it's a dump now. It's overrun by these sort of feral youths who go around Harlow. He says, Percy, he said, I've been to worse places. Well, I've heard about Mogadishu and things like that. I should imagine that would be marginally worse. He said, personally, I like Whitby. He said, then you've got the smoke sheds where they smoke the kippers and haddock. Are you on medication or something? 
Why would you want... You go somewhere because they smoke kippers and haddock. Who wants to watch that? What's the point of that? I watched a couple on the television the other day. They'd gone back to their roots. And they made charcoal. And I didn't realise how you made charcoal. It was quite entertaining, actually. I thought it was very entertaining. And uh, they seemed to make quite a living out of it. So I was, I was very pleased with that. Uh, the boy killed the other day in the cop chase... I knew that the police were going to get the blame for this. They were, they were chasing somebody who allegedly had stolen a vehicle who mounted the pavement and killed uh, this young boy. Uh, you know, a man was arrested at the scene. But this one here, uh, Mackay McDermott, described as an unbelievable talent, has appeared in an Asda advert. Uh, and now he's been casting for a TV thing. So they say he was a talented actor up for a big role. I think we've kind of over-egged the pudding a little bit. I mean, he's very sweet, very sweet. But there's tons of these little kids out there. They come out of all the stage schools and everything else. And uh, for every one that makes it, there's about two or three hundred who don't make it. But it doesn't stop them trying. So, you know, he's only done one thing so far, and that was the Asda advert. And uh, road safety campaigners, as usual, are questioning whether police should have halted their high-speed car chase before the tragedy hit. I knew the police would get it. They can't win. This is a no-win situation for the police, which is a great shame, isn't it? Great shame. They were doing what they're supposed to be doing. Of course, if any of these people had been their car, they'd be saying, why aren't the police doing anything? Why are the police not chasing these people? You see it on the television all the time. All the time. Uh, the most evocative thing to come from early days without money continues. Every morning, getting hot water a surprise and a genuine pleasure. Yes, I agree. I agree. I still find it a genuine pleasure, actually. And uh, did, talk to your fans. Did you ever solve the mystery of the one you had that would neither, neither suck nor blow, says Malcolm. Yeah, I threw it out. And I bought another one, which does work. <laughs> threw it out. I decided I'd had enough. I wasn't particularly bothered. I just sort of got rid of it. <laughs> we never solved the mystery. We had no idea why it was that the fan was on, and it was, but it wasn't, the air wasn't coming out the back, and it certainly wasn't coming out the front. And, and I checked all the polarities and everything else. For some reason, it just didn't work. It just wasn't doing what it... It wasn't fit for purpose. I should have sent it back saying, would you like to send me one that blows, please? So in the end, I just bought another one and took the other one down. <laughs> so much easier. So much easier. No point, you see, I'm, I'm not one of the, these people that, uh, that, uh, that sort of faffs around, actually. And uh, another one here. You lift my spirits, says Michael. He comes from Lee in Greater Manchester. Is that the posh bit or the scuzzy bit, Michael? I'm not sure which, which part Lee is. I've never heard of it. It sounds quite exotic, doesn't it? But I have a horrible feeling you're going to tell me it's vile. But uh, he's another one who suffers from uh, long depressive illness. Not on this programme. We don't do depression on this programme. There's no, there's no time for depression. You kind of, you listen to this programme, you can take it all in and then dissect it and chuck it all out again. But there's no time for, for sort of going, oh, I feel really depressed listening to it. Because nobody gets depressed listening to this programme. Absolutely nobody. And if they say they, they do, then they're generally telling fibs. And uh, my friend met Katie Price earlier, says Ben. And apparently she smells. Oh, I can well imagine. There was a woman got on the train the other day. And you know when somebody gets on the train and you get... And, and she was wearing... I don't know what she was wearing. It was sort of like an all-in-one outfit with a hood over the top of it. But I think it was made of wool or something. Either way, it had not been washed for years. It was absolutely terrible. Terrible. Uh, I was ultra slim in the 60s, says Maggie. Tea was a great meal replacement. Life's much easier now. I know. See, I think everybody was slim in the 60s. I don't think we had obesity in the 60s. I don't remember it being around. I just remember being thin but not appreciating the fact that I was thin. Because that's, that's what I, I think... Uh, I think people sort of worry about that, don't they? They sort of worry. Because if ever you talk to people, there's some guys who work in this building. Tim, who I mentioned earlier on, I mean, he's, he's slim. I mean, seriously slim. 
You know, and I look at it, I think, oh, please don't stand next to me. I look way too fat next to you. I look even fatter next to thin people. But I don't think thin people really appreciate it, because some people can eat anything they want, and they don't put any weight. Me, I've only got to eat two quarter pounders with cheese and large fries, and the weight just goes on. I don't understand it at all. Uh, here's the council in the cash scandal. Uh, and this is the boss, who's just pocketed a £200,000 payoff. Apparently had nine other jobs. Nicola Yates got the golden goodbye from a Labour-led authority, which is axing a 1,000 jobs. That's a nice little backhander, isn't it? A little sweetener there, 200,000. She enjoyed a 194,000 a year package as a director of Bristol City Council, but stepped down in July after three years. In addition, she was a returning officer for elections, which paid 40,000 over two years, blimey, and had roles at eight companies whilst at the council. She was an £18,000 a year chief executive at Bristol 2015 Limited, a director of the seven other firms. She's since resigned from four of them. She received, in 2013, £242,000 compensation from Hull City Council, which she left amid reports of clashes with councillors. Blimey. Are these pe- How do they get away with that? How do they get away with it? It's unbelievable. Councillors claim Yates, who received an OBE for services to local government, was ditched after clashing with a new mayor. Ex-Tory leader Richard Eddy said people will ask how this massive sum can be defended when the council is slashing services. There was no answer yesterday. The million-pound home in Clifton of uh, Nicola Yates, where she lives with her partner, Michael Bailey, 50. Unbelievable, isn't it? Well, you enjoy it, dear. Your 30 pieces of silver. I'm sure it's great. Uh, a lot of people telling me how thin they were in the, uh, in the 60s. <laughs> Very thin. And, uh, and Ian says, was everybody thin due to uppers and downers? This was literally a myth that everybody in the 60s was on drugs. It was a total myth. You know, the word, there might have been uppers and downers, but, you know, only certain druggies took them. You know, us normal kids, we just went out there and sort of had a, had a fizzy drink. And that was the extent of it. I mean, the extent of my sort of pushing the boat out was a, was a, was a milkshake. Wasn't even a triple thick milkshake. You'd go into the milk bar; they were all over the place, as you all remember. And uh, and you'd go uh, strawberry milkshake, and they'd they'd get this little machine at the back, and they'd take the jug off it. They'd pour in some cold milk out the fridge, stick in some uh, some milkshake uh, liquid, and then they'd give it to you. And it would come in a tall glass with a straw. You could drink it in one go. It was only when McDonald's came along with those triple thick triple thick things that you couldn't get up the blasted straw. But no, the, the early milkshakes were just ordinary milkshakes. And that was it. We thought we'd arrived. To, I mean, if you, could, if you could afford two milkshakes, sometimes I'd go back and go, um, chocolate, chocolate milkshake. they go, Stephen, you've just had a strawberry milkshake. Chocolate milkshake. And so they give you a chocolate milkshake. You know, otherwise you'd break their windows. You know, I wasn't a violent child, but if I didn't get what I wanted, you know, that's the kind of thing that happened when you were younger. Coming up to the news at uh, five o'clock, Lady C, the dreary old lady Colin Campbell, poor old has-been. If the right man came along, I'd marry again. I'm sorry, darling, he won't. Just accept the fact you're going to be desperately sad and lonely and rude for the rest of your life. Uh, The crook who's been jailed for writing to a supermarket... I've hidden cyanide in your supermarket. By the way, I'm a businessman. He's more stupid than you can ever imagine. You find him on the front page of a couple of the papers for this morning. He doesn't look intelligent, and he really isn't, so he's gone off to prison now. And he'll be staying there, hopefully... He wanted £2 million. He claimed he was speaking on behalf of a group, but most people who think they're talking on behalf of others are generally very lonely and by themselves. And uh, what else? The autistic boy... He gets a friend to have lunch with. It's really good. You're listening to a podcast from LBC.
Morning, everybody. Nice to have your company. Apparently, Sheffield is worse than Blackpool. Yes, I can confirm that Sheffield will be on a par with uh, with Blackpool. Uh, it's not home of the Jeremy Kyle show, though. Contrary to public opinion, no, that's Staines. Staines is the home of the Jeremy Kyle show. Well, it's not sort of much the home. It's a holding pen. OK, they leave them in there, then they go in and corral them. And they, you... Sorry, Shep, how many teeth you got? Two. You're in. You're in straight away. OK, you... OK, can you get your thing... Thank you. How many tattoos you got? More than twenty. You're in. You're in straight away. Okay. Anybody? Uh, anybody hideously deformed over an attack with a Lucasade bottle or something? You're in as well. Yes. No. The holding pen for the Jeremy Kyle show is undoubtedly Staines, which is very near to where Jeremy Kyle lives himself. So you can you can kind of pick him out on a Saturday. Good news is Mark says Danielle Westbrook. Uh, why people pick on me? Uh, pick on me? Yeah, she's back on Loose Women today. She'll be a good watch with the sound down. Oh God! I mean, what can she have to flog now? Surely nothing else. You've done every aspect of your life. Just disappear, go and find a job. What What amazes me is how bone idle these people are. It really, it really annoys me. Everybody else listening to this program at the moment, or most of you, are probably getting up to go to work today, and yet bone idle Daniela Westbrook, you know, just ponces off people and then sort of sells stories. It's like somebody was saying the other day. So uh, you've got that. Um, What's her name? Kerry Coke Toner. Her daughter's 15. And so she bought her a Michael Kors watch the other day. They're not as popular as you think they are. Really? I mean, I think that it's for the lower lower end of the market. I think they used to be quite good. Can you put him out? Can we have a look at some of his, uh, his watches? Michael Kors. It's K- K-O-R-S, I think. Uh, and also bought her a dog. It's a bit embarrassing, isn't it, really? The woman who's been bankrupt twice and buys a pet. Who'll be paying for that? Perhaps, it, perhaps it'll have its own web page or something like that. Poor old Kerry Katona, honestly. You do worry, don't you? Perhaps if she got out there and actually got a job as a, as a person, it might have made her a nicer person. But uh, it hasn't worked at all. And for Daniela Westbrook, I mean, they'll have to do her up for the programme. She'll be sitting there. They, they put all the low-rent people, all the low-lifes. Here we go. Here's some watches. How much are they? How much are they? These look very sort of nice, if you like that sort of thing. And that one is... Oh, God, they're cheap, aren't they? Very cheap. $225. Have they got a diamond one? Is the one that's a diamond watch? Because they said it was a diamond Michael Kors watch. Have they got a diamond one anywhere there? So just have a look. Let's try... Oops, let's try again. We couldn't find... Oh, so they don't have any diamond watches at all. But he does handbags and things like that. It's obviously very popular with the ladies. And so a 15-year-old daughter gets this this diamond... Diamond... I'm trying to think, actually. 200 quid. Yeah, it's about 120 quid or something like that designer watches sold in Ernest Jones high-end market high-end market look at that very nice indeed aren't they they're really lovely 169 is this on Amazon it looks like it's Amazon doesn't it oh right really really nice Uh, so lots of nice watches there so that's what her daughter gets for a birthday and a puppy Unfortunately, of course, the puppy will probably outlive the uh, the watch I would think you've got to you know dogs are not just for Christmas they're for the rest of your life Uh, somebody says uh, you can let everybody know it's raining besides Heathrow well, don't go beside Heathrow then. I love it when you only drive into rain, all of a sudden there's like a curtain. I think you should better stand there. And one half of you gets wet and the other half of you doesn't get wet. Because that's how it is, isn't it, really? Uh, somebody else saying, yeah, Sheffield is actually pretty, pretty dire. It's good. Yeah, I agree. Somebody says, I'm loving the show. You're distracting me from cake making. What, five past five in the morning, you make cakes. Who's it? Is it Mary? Mary, is that you? You know she started writing in. It's really embarrassing, honestly. I got a thing from uh, Phil Vickery the other day saying he's he's been away. He's been. He doesn't say where he's been away. Could have, could have a tag or something like that. But he said he will be with me on Sunday morning between five and seven. I get worried when people don't write. I get worried. I'm looking for milkman at the moment. 
looking for milkmen, just to find out. We pick up gangs of these uh, feral kids who are full of bravado in front of each other. The moment you get them alone, they start crying. They're more than happy to drop the rest of the gang in uh, in trouble. Complete cowards. Oh, I've seen them on the television. They're all big, aren't they? When they yeah, and all this kind of stuff. And uh, But as I say, this particular gang in Harlow, they're well known to the police. It's not like they're not well known. They should have been taken off the streets. The parents should have been prosecuted. If your child moves outside the house, you're going to prison. OK, we'll put the kids in care. Let's start. Let's not, let's not beat around the bush anymore. I'm, I'm sick to death of this kind of thing. That's why, you know, what's the point of putting Daniela Westbrook on Loose Women? This is this new producer who's obviously got this idea of putting on people that we absolutely loathe. In fact, there was a piece in one of the papers today, one of the critics was saying, if there was one person that we hated more than anybody in the I'm a Celebrity, it was, uh, it was Lady Colin Campbell. You know, she was vile, a revolting, stuck-up-her-own-whatever, and uh, awful. 350 years since the Great Fire of London, it burnt for five days. Thank God for that. But, of course, the good news was it destroyed the plague. It destroyed the rats. It destroyed the fleas and everything else. And um, I'm wondering if you could uh, smelt and seen the fire in Essex. I think so, yeah. I think 13,500 pounds... Uh, sorry, 13,500 homes burnt. I think 13... Because they were all wooden. That was the thing. Uh, Mark says, the reason there were no obese people in the 60s and the 70s, there were no fast food places. No, there was nothing. There was nothing. First one, I think, to arrive. With, and all from America. All from America. Yeah, I was right. 13,200 houses, 87 churches, and most of the buildings of the city's authorities. It also it destroyed the homes of 70,000 of the 80,000 inhabitants in the city. The death toll is uh, unknown. Traditionally thought to have been small, as only six verified desks uh, were recorded. They have got, in the Museum of London, a melted piece of pottery. The temperature, they say, reached 1,250 degrees centigrade. Because it would. And there was a wall around there. And it started in the bakery, as you know. One man came forward and said he started it. So they hanged him, which we told you yesterday on the programme. And, um, and uh, it turned out it wasn't him at all. He was nowhere near the place. He was, he was, he was on a ship on the ocean. But the Great Fire of London, uh, sometimes you look at certain areas, you think perhaps we should raise those to the ground as well and start all over again. Where would we start with? Hounslow's a popular choice, I believe. <laughs> Poor people of Hounslow. <laughs> Somebody said, oh, it must be awful for you to live in Hounslow. It is, it's, they've all changed all these areas. They're not as, not as nice, you know. Uh, and Barry says, do you like anywhere in the north? I can't stand the north. I'm so glad we, we, we've got a wall I'm, I'm so glad. He comes from Scotland, Barry. He's obviously quite clearly one of these brain cells short, you know. Uh, Steve, too much free time, these kids. Why not send them down the mines and up the chimneys? Joke. No, 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 I think it's quite serious. I think we should send them up the chimneys. They, that, that was the brilliant bit years ago, wasn't it? That you could send kids up chimneys and they had to crawl up there. And then, of course, the good thing was that when they got to the top, it was, it, it was like the scene out of, out of Mary Poppins. Kids going up chimneys. Uh, the M25 is a car park anti-clockwise at the Dartford Crossing, Steve, says Simon. Doing my bit. OK, why, why is it a car park? Why is it a car park? You've just decided to park up? What, what is the reason for this today? Is it an accident? I'm always amazed at some accidents that you get, you know, at the, uh, it's the sort of the early hours of the morning and you get bad driving. I think we actually broke all the speed limits today. I didn't want to tell him that on the A316, the driver, because I was feeling benevolent, didn't want to tell him that they measure you between two points. So luckily, because he saw no, no cameras, he assumed it was, it was better to do 50 miles an hour, when in fact it's 30. Uh, Steve, it's not Mary. It's Tracy, the other cake queen. Oh, well, put your name on things. Put your name on things. It's the only way you can do it nowadays, isn't it? Uh, some more things here. 
A lot of people talking about uh, the 60s. Uh, drugs have become an urban myth. Well, people used to say that if you can remember the 60s, you weren't really there. Which, of course, is rubbish, because I was there. And uh, I wasn't on drugs at all. You know, they say people were doing purple hearts, and, and they were doing tabs, I think they were called. And uh, so people spend their day being spaced out. You did get hippies. You did get, you know, spaced out people. But to be honest with you, I mean, we didn't. We didn't do anything like that. We weren't old enough, really. I used to love... The- I was never a modder or rocker. It didn't feature in my life at all. I was, uh, if, I, if I'd favoured one side or the other, it would have been towards the mods. And I was a smoothie. And a smoothie was sort of, it, we, we were sort of one down, I think. We used to have, um, I have to think about it now, crombies were very popular. Your handkerchief in the top pocket held in with a, a little tie pin thing, which so stopped people nicking your silk handkerchief. Uh, a Ben Sherman shirt and tonic trousers. Tonic trousers, which sort of change colours. Do you remember the tonic trousers? I used to love those. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, I was in my 20s, loved the Stones, the Beatles and the groups of the day, says Michael. And uh, just enjoyed the music at the London pubs. Best night, Sundays. We all drove to the Waterman's Arms on the Isle of Dogs and enjoyed a night out with Mrs Shufflewick, Kim Cordell and all the great uh, pub entertainers of the day. Mrs Shufflewick. Poor old soak, honestly. He was a, the drunk of all drunks, but uh, famous. This letter that's in the paper today, this is, this is how, how mentally ill this person is. This is David Ward, twisted. And he wrote a letter to a supermarket. And he says, it's very important that you read this letter and take the contents very seriously. One of your products has been poisoned and placed on the shelf earlier today. The product in question is a slow seller, but you have only four to five days before a customer purchases the poison product. I suggest you have a quick analysis done of the contents of the tube. He sent a tube of cyanide to them so they could get it analysed. You will find it contains a pure grade of potassium cyanide, so please do not consider this letter a mere threat. We can manufacture as much cyanide as we would ever need. The dose employed will result in the certain death of a whole family within 30 minutes of consumption. We want... Two million pounds. Sorry, the amount is large, but there are several people involved who will need to be paid, and I'm sure you have extortion insurance to make the loss more painful. We are all employees of the company and free to poison your products at any time of your choosing. He's this sick. He's seriously this sick. He says, you may have cameras in your warehouse, but it's very easy to hide behind all those packed cages. We have the power to destroy your company, and we will unless paid. Pay us, and the problem goes away. No word of this will ever leak to the media from us. Don't pay and people will die. I promise you and we will want four million then for the extra unwanted attention. If you are ready to pay, place an obituary in a national newspaper in memory of a specific name and I'll leave the rest of the text to you. Make the announcement and innocent people need not die. That's how sick and twisted this man is. You know, and you look at a picture of him and I'm I'm tempted to say he looks fairly normal, but of course he's quite clearly not David Ward is a sick chemistry graduate at the age of 51. He will probably spend the rest of his life in prison. He needs looking after. He's quite clearly sick in the head. And that was his his £2 million blackmail demand. But, of course, supermarkets, they don't know what to do with it, do they? Because you think, wait a minute, if he has poisoned it, we don't know who he is, what are we supposed to do about it? They would have caught him anyway. He would have been caught and... uh, uh, in other countries, of course, they'd have, it would have been a shootout. They'd have killed him on the spot. Over here, we'd probably give him a little bit of a spell in Broadmoor or something like that. Uh, more of those sort of stories coming up, but he's on the front page of the papers today. Uh, the Curse of the Smiler. 32 people trapped upside down. Again. What is it with Alton Towers and their inability to run rides? It's really getting too dangerous because 32 people trapped 
upside down. 40 minutes they were up there. They were going up. No, sorry, they were coming down. So they're all facing the wrong way. Well, I tell you, I would have done my head in, I think. I'd have been looking for compensation straight away. I don't often go for compensation, but frankly, that would frighten me quite badly. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Nigel Farage, leading Britain's conversation. This Saturday from 10 on LBC. He's back. Two broomsticks in the building. Oh, no, only one. I've just realised there's only going to be one because Katie's here on uh, on Sunday. Uh, Steve, Jaywick, Norfolk, quite bad as well. Many seaside towns are very deprived. Although I'm, qu- I'm quite depressed by the fact that the producer said he went to Broadstairs, which always sounds terribly old-fashioned to me. I don't know why Broadstairs would say... It's like Frinton. You know, you go Broadstairs. And I always think old-fashioned place. Uh, Charles Dickens lived in Broadstairs. He's got a lovely little harbour and uh, there were some nice houses that had come up for sale there. And, and it looks nice, but then once they get taken over by the chavy element and, you know, it just it just gets depressing. Just gets depressing. It's the it's the onset of all these fast food places that are open till I came up Shaftesbury Avenue. When was it? Two, di- two nights ago, something like that. And there's a, a burger place down there, which is open at three in the morning. Small wonder the police have got, you know, a job on their hands. They're just coming off shift. And then you get people kicking off outside a burger place. They should not licence these places. They really shouldn't. We don't know where Kevin the Milkman is. We've got no idea where he's vanished to. No idea. Just seems to have disappeared off the face of the earth. Uh, Somebody says I was flicking through some Freeview channels and I found one which sort of associated uh, you with it. Uh, Somebody says, do you have memories of Hendrix? No. None at all, actually. None at all. Uh, his house in Mayfair uh, is opened up as a, a museum now, and that's and I can't tell you anything about it apart from I think his. Wait a minute, no, I, no, I can't tell you anything about Jimi Hendrix. I just, I just I'm thinking of some, about somebody else, but I don't know anything about him. I just know that he looked off his face all the time, and he played his guitar with his teeth on top of the pops, and that's the only thing I could tell you. I don't know anything about uh, anything about him at all. Bye bye to Holmes. Yes, Eamon Holmes is going. Uh, he used to be sort of... He's, he's, he's quite large. I hope he's not ill. I hope he's not ill. Somebody said to me the other day, he didn't look very well. He's had a cu- I know he's been in for having his, his hip uh, replacement thing done. And uh, that gave, uh, gave Ruth a bit of a respite, I suppose. Uh, then he had to apologise the other day because uh, Paddy Doherty, the, uh, the gypsy cage-fighting person who was very friendly with the Speaker's wife, Sally the Burke, uh, he was on there and he swore. But uh, I've heard that before on television, but they have to apologise. I suppose you're going to get some swearing from Daniela Westbrook. I don't know why they would put somebody like that on television. Talk about a bad example. What a bad example to everybody. You know, a classic example of boys and girls, don't take drugs. That's what you end up looking like. Uh, And here's the story as a football star joins her autistic son for lunch. His name is Bo Pasquet. Uh, He comes from Tallahassee in Florida. And because he's autistic... Nobody in the school wants to sit with him. So he has all his meals by himself. And uh, and it must be very lonely for him. But then he, he's only 11, so he's regularly left to himself at mealtimes. So when Travis Rudolph spotted him during a school visit, he went across and asked, can I sit here and eat with you? A teacher snapped the magic moment, and now the image has gone viral, leaving Bo with an army of new admir- admirers. Florida State player Travis, who's 20, said, I just wanted to go say hi to the kid because he was eating alone. When I asked if he could join him, he was like, sure, why not? And so they sat down, and they've got a lovely picture. This kid sitting all by himself. At t- what horrible 
pupils there must be at this school. What horrible, horrible pupils. I know this is the nice side of it, but you'd be saying, excuse me, do you want to go and sit with him? He's autistic. Go and sit with him, for goodness sake. He's no different to anybody else. But uh, his mum was really pleased. She said, for once I didn't worry if my boy was eating alone. And she says he had a nice smile. I was a really, really warm person. I don't know if anybody took a photo. I'm glad because it can bring awareness to helping others. And so it's a nice picture. It's a nice picture of him. And uh, and uh, his uh, little little Bo's mum says, you made this mum exceedingly happy. We're now fans for life. Isn't that nice? He's, he's only 20. You know, it can be an arrogance with some football players over in America. So well done to him. And you've gone viral and you've hit the British papers. And that, as far as I'm concerned, is the winning vote. Here she is. Revolting old bag. Lady C. A dreadful embarrassment to just about everybody. You know, all this titled nonsense. Don't actually go with it. She only just happened to marry the right person. Up till then, she was a nobody. And uh, so she went in... uh, into I'm a Celebrity, made a bit of money, and then she's had to put it into her pile, which is crumbling around her ears. And so now... I mean, her first marriage was to Lord Colin Campbell, and um, and he was the, the youngest son of the 11th Duke of Argyle. What an embarrassment for her to turn up. Into, and anyway, uh, lasted just nine months. But she got the title. That's what she was after, of course. And uh, she says, I might be prepared to marry again. <laughs> God, how awful. But anyway, all it is, it's going to be... Um, a wedding venue and so she'll be there but to be honest with you she's so foul-mouthed the other day she was uh, being really disgusting about well-known people you know i mean really disgusting so uh, i wish you'd just disappear colin and uh, take your dreary existence with you very boring person very boring very dull not really titled just just being called lady doesn't mean a diddly squat to me it's like you know having cardinal or something like that that doesn't mean anything either have i taken a break i can't remember I have taken it. Oh, thank God for that. Uh, Michael Kors watches, says Jackie, made in China and don't have sapphire glass. Somehow I don't even know what that is. What is sapphire glass? Wow. Somebody says, you need a cool watch. The best one is a Brilla, says Anna in Pun. I'm quite pleased with my watch, actually. I'm quite happy with my one. And um, it's, it's quite nice, actually. Mine's a Raymond Vile watch. And I've had it for years. I paid... What did I pay for it? I can't remember. I paid, I think, about £800 a few years ago. I don't think they go up in value. I didn't buy it because of the... Uh, I happened to have some spare money at the time, like you do. And I bought the watch. It was my treat. I can't remember why I treated myself. You've always got to have a reason for treating yourself. And I must have treated myself for some reason, because everybody kept saying to me, oh, that's a nice... I tell you, he's obsessed with watches, Nick Ferrari. He's always very keen on... Oh, what's that? He likes Breitling, I think. He likes Breitling watches. I can't afford anything like that. <laughs> Not at all. Um, da, 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 da. The Eamon Holmes leaving, leaving Sunrise, nobody really cares about little tiny pieces in all the papers. I think he was hoping it was going to make front-page news. And he's basically said... I wish I could find this blasted quote. He says, I cannot stress how hard it is saying goodbye. Goodbye. There you go. But I can't remember what the quote was. He comes up with this funny quote. Um, And so he wrote that the show was the stuff of boyhood dreams. Time to step down, having so much to do, but little time to do it. Which kind of makes you think, what do you mean? What does that mean? I don't know what that means. Does that mean that he's ill? You know, so much to do in so little time to do it. But he says here, wait a minute. I hope you all appreciated that I tried to do it differently. No, I don't think so. I mean, it, it just, he did it, he does it the same as everybody else. It's just, it, obviously, it's Eamon Holmes doing it. But I don't see he did it any differently. And so he says, uh, it was a job I hoped to do as a young Belfast lad. 
Oh, I thought after he quit GMTV or whatever it was he was doing, that was it. He'd sort of disappear completely. But uh, he's been stalling. He said, I'll continue my work with ITV and Channel 5. But uh, nothing stays the same, nor should it. I wonder who's... I hope they enjoy whoever takes over and respect the privilege of hosting Sunrise and waking up Britain. You weren't waking up Britain, darling. That was the trouble. If only it was that case. But the audience so small, it doesn't even... You didn't wake up Britain. And to those who've worked or woken up with me on Sky News over the years, thank you. But uh, there, was no, there was no waking up, I don't think. You know, waking up Britain. I think that's all the other programmes. And, of course, the radio programmes, which, uh, which are the ones who really wake up. You know, and all, all you're getting on them is just a rehash of what we've been doing uh, on our programmes on LBC. Just had a message from Charlie Girling. It's always going to be important. She was away on one of these uh, end night. She says here, at home at my parents child-free. And can I lie in? Of course not, she says. But at least I have you to keep me company. She's off, she's off today. She's got a day off today. I don't do days off. I don't. The funny thing is, even when you get a day off, I still wake up early. So Saturday morning for me, tomorrow morning, I mean, tonight I'll have a late night, 8 o'clock, Charlie. That's about as far as I can push it. And uh, I had lasagna last night. And I haven't had lasagna for ages. I quite like it. I, quite, I didn't make it, obviously. Somebody has to make it for me, and I just put it in the oven. And, um, and whenever I get a day off, like the Saturday, I still wake up at one o'clock in the morning. So what I have to do is I have to watch a little bit of television, have uh, have sort of, you know, sandwich or something like that, and then try and go back to sleep again, which I always manage, but I'm still up by eight o'clock. You can't, you can't do it, can you? It's terrible. It just sort of gets you into that mindset. So at your parents, it's nice. And also child-free. Oh, what a blessing for mothers. What a blessing for mothers. I know it's, it sounds awful, but it's, it's a blessing to actually get a bit of room to breathe. A bit of room to breathe. And that's why I was interested in this Gay Dad programme, which we talked about at the beginning of the programme, because I didn't quite understand what, what the thing was all about. I, I really didn't understand. If it was just another little show-off piece for two guys who happened to be gay, who happened to have paid to have children, and that was the end of the... There's no other story there. But they made a big point about millionaire... And yet, as I say, looking at their house, it looked like a right old dump. Uh, Dean says, I go to Broadstairs for a few days every year. It really is traditional British seaside. Lovely beach, lifeguards, fish and chips, ice cream, punch and Judy and Morris dancing. God, I'm beginning to sound awful. All of that in one week. Oh, Dean, need to get a life. I mean, I don't mind. I mean, I'll tell you, out of that, I do like, I like the old-fashioned traditional British seaside. You know, when you see old films that they've made. Oh, by the way, I watched that film the other day. You know, the one about the Golden Heist. Nick Knowles' film. It's very good. It's very, very good. Very good. You'll like it. You'll like it a lot, actually. Uh, So I do like traditional British seaside. But they're so packed now. They're so packed with all sorts of people. And I just... I want it to myself. So I've seen a few houses recently that do come with their own access to private beaches. And I thought, that'd be... You've got your own beach. Build your own sandcastle and nobody's going to tread on it. I like the idea of uh, fish and chips. I like the idea of ice cream. I like the idea of Punch and Judy. And I'm kind of OK with Morris dancing. I'm not whoopee-doo, here we go, Morris dancing. I'm kind of, oh, this is a bit traditional. And so I could not bothered about lifeguards. Listen, if I get into difficulty on my little paddling thing, then that's my problem. But no, I, d- I don't really want lifeguards. I'm quite sure, actually, they are an integral part of uh, of life on the beach but in my in my private beach and on my private beach i've uh, i've decided that uh, i don't want anybody else on there at all it's just going to be very busy were they very yeah they were very, they're staying there to the end of summer at Camber Sands. 
Amazing how they managed to find the money all of a sudden, but they couldn't find it up until now. But that is the element that uh, tear down signs, people who graffitiise things and take it off. I mean, it's really, it's getting quite bad, actually. I think the law needs to be tightened up. You know, anybody starts graffitiing signs that are there to protect people and warn them of imminent danger. I think anybody graffitiises, I think you're in prison immediately if we have to build separate prisons. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. I like the idea that uh, Geraldine says Daniela Westbrook looks like Betty Davis in Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. If you've never seen the film, that's exactly what Daniela Westbrook looks like. And uh, Danny Cohen, he says, I've come to the conclusion that insomnia is God's way of inviting you to be part of the spike. I think, you know, I never thought about that before. It makes it sound terribly exciting, doesn't it? Part of the spike. God's way of telling you. Because insomnia, for some people, it's terrible, but I always maintain you can sleep later. It's just that you, um, you, have, to sort of, you have to sort of put it into context. And there's all sorts of things that, in, that sort of contribute to insomnia. Uh, it can be the fact that you're worrying about something, the fact that you doze during the daytime, which means that you can't doze at uh, night time at the time you should be. I should imagine if ever I finished doing this programme, which is not on the cards for a few years, um, it would be, it would probably take ages to get back into the routine of going to bed at what would be considered a normal time. Because you can either do this job and you turn your life around uh, or you don't. And I've spoken to people before and they go, how do you stay awake? And I go, well, how do you just do? This is my, my daytime. Somebody turned up with a cooked breakfast now. I'd be enjoying it. Uh, very nicely, thank you. Very nice. I, I definitely could go with a cooked breakfast now. So this is my day. People think that I go home to, to sleep, but I don't. I go home. I'm awake now until I go to bed this evening. Uh, it's going to be a, a bit of a tussle on the Strictly Come Dancing programme as to which of the babes, in inverted commas, gets the coverage in the newspapers. And I should imagine that uh, Laura Whitmore must be absolutely kicking herself that she's left it a little bit too late. The, uh, the stable door is closed right behind her. And so now you've got Daisy Lowe has confessed she fancies a saucy threesome with the TV dancers to help the show go with a swing. If only people knew who she was. If only people knew who she was. She's a model, and that's about as far as it goes. And she'll be dancing, and she'll be trying to make out... Once you've heard her speak, then you'll sort of understand where I'm coming from. So you'll be watching that very carefully. Laura Whitmore will just be very irritating. Sapphire glass, says Jackie. This is what we talked about earlier on, the sapphire glass on watches. is apparently non-scratch... And protects the dial, which your Raymond Vile will have. Is it? Well, honestly, I don't know. I've never thought about it. It's called sapphire glass, is it? Oh, well, there you go. Sapphire glass. I keep looking at other watches. And I suddenly realise... Sorry, I'm just cleaning. I suddenly realise, what's the point of buying another watch? It just tells the time. I've got a toy watch at home. Toy is the company. And uh, it looks like... the. I used to wear them on stage because it's, um, it's a plastic watch. But it's all covered with... Um, bits of glass, which makes it look like diamonds. I've often wanted to wear it in the car and have my hand casually draped out of the window, you know, just to see if anybody's going to fall for it. And I can't remember what I paid for it, but I remember seeing it when we were looking for blingy items. And, uh, and I saw Toy Watch, as in toy, and, and it turned out to be a company. And then I found something else, which was quite brilliant. But in America, and I've lost the blooming thing now, and it's a little, it's a tag, OK, a little tiny round tag, which has got a battery in it, and you hide it somewhere in your car, and then you download an app from the App Store, and it means you can always find your car. But if you buy four of these little tags, they give you an extra four others. So you could hide them in the glove compartment, or you could hide it in your phone, in the back of it, so you could always find the item. Now, it's sold in America for about, I think, 100 and 
20 or 30 dollars for eight of these little tags and then you download the app and I thought to myself but would it work over here are we on the same frequency but on there selling it I wish I could remember what it's called it um, it lists the United Kingdom sending to so I'm assuming people must buy them over here because I quite like that idea because I've got tracker in my car which is this it's hidden somewhere. I don't, I don't know where it is. I don't think anybody knows where the blooming thing is. And uh, if somebody pinches the car, which, you know, they'll have to be fairly clever to pinch this car. They'll have to take it away, uh, lift it, because you can't drive it, because it's useless without the computerised key, like a lot of cars nowadays. And, uh, and then the car can be traced. You can see it. it just the, the tracker is, is activated. And, then you, and you can find it. But, of course, people who nick high-end cars don't worry about that. They always end up on sort of farmland, strangely. You know, with a few caravans in the distance. You know, people sort of obviously in their holidays. Uh, what else have we got in the paper today? Apart from the saucy model's sexy pledge, which isn't really saucy, or she's not really that exciting, you've got 57% have called for a ban on the burqa in this country. I don't know who they asked. I wasn't asked. They said that most Brits want to ban the burqa. Uh, it's a YouGov survey. 57% of British people support outlawing the Islamic dress, while just 25% of people said they would oppose it. Older Brits were more likely to back a ban in this country. 78% of over 65s wanting to make wearing the religious garment illegal. However, 40% in the 18 to 24. The trouble is you don't need to wear it. This is what has been put out by so many people. It doesn't say in the Quran you have to wear it. It says nowhere. You know, it's done by people. I mean, you've seen the people who've sort of traipsed around looking like it. We've seen people robbing shops and jewellers dressed up in the in the full burqa. But you don't need to wear it. You just have to be modestly dressed. Because you get people. There's a girl who used to go to the college in Twickenham, fully veiled up, fully veiled up. And I think that if you're doing something like that, you don't need it. You absolutely do not need it. It doesn't say anywhere you do have to wear it like that. It's just it's the oppression of women. And uh, not so good. My health has taken a turn for the worse. Over the last two years, I hate working in the city and uh, I want to clear debt. I could buy a flat outright with no mortgage outside of uh, outside of London. So yesterday went to Westbourne. Am I too young for that place? Viewed five flats. Look nice, but very quiet. It's God's waiting room, isn't it? Anywhere down Bournemouth way. That's definitely God's waiting room. But you do get a good conversation and you can have a you can have a sort of a portion of chips. It's amazing how easily pleased we are, aren't we? Just you say to the Brits portion of chips. Anybody else in any other country? What chips? Oh, well, they're just, just chips. Well, no, sometimes sausage and batter as well. Broadstairs is lovely, says Amanda. They have a Dickens festival every year. The people dress up in Victorian costume. Bleak House is open to the public and the Dickens House Museum is wonderful. Give it a try. I'm not taking the car down there. I don't know how far away it is, actually. I don't know how far away Broadstairs is from here. 70, 75 miles? I'm not taking the car for 75 miles. Heavens above, that's nearly another service. That's a long way to go. Uh, each Each way... Oh, definitely not. It's more than 150 miles. No, thank you. Morelli's Ice Cream Parlour Broadstairs. Original 1950s decor. A must to visit. Lovely seafront restaurant, says Jane. There you go, you see. There you go. I mean, there's obviously... I do like a seaside resort. I'm I'm quite happy, as I've said before, just sitting on a pier, staring out to sea. (laughs) I don't know. I don't understand, you know, why anybody would want any more in life. If there was somebody there and they go, would you like some chips, Steve, and a a beef burger and batter? Oh, yes, please. Yes, please. Beef burger and batter and a portion of chips. Yummy, yum. Salt and vinegar? No. No, thank you. Little bit of salt. Not not too much salt. They always say that. Salt vinegar? And you go, uh, just salt. I don't do vinegar anymore. I've decided it's a little bit too woo, in your face. Uh, uh, Raymond says, forgot to mention, I need to lose four stone in weight. But he says, working two shifts, I can't find continuity. Starting all over again. Four stone. Blimey, you're carrying a lot, aren't you? Four stone in weight. 
That's that. That's quite a lot if you're carrying it. <laughs> uh, are they tile app tiles? And yes, they do work in the UK, says Joe. I just quite fancy the idea. I just quite fancy the idea of putting something hidden in the car, which means you can trace it. Or you can find things that you think you might lose, like your wallet, I suppose. If you're going six nights a week, I don't, I don't understand why the company you use sends you the same driver every night. It's not complicated, even for larger companies, says Chris Dartford Cabby. They don't. They don't, because the system they have of allocating cars goes on where people are on the, on the sat-nav system. The computer logs them. So they don't get a phone call. They just get the message sent to their, their phone that you're the nearest to go and pick him up. So I've occasionally, very, 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 I mean, seriously, I can count on one hand the amount of times I've had the same driver. The rest of the time, all completely different. Some totally ignorant, some rude beyond belief. Most of them failing to understand that I'm paying for this. This is a £40 ride. You know, I'm paying for this. So a little bit more self-respect, I think, might be quite nice for them. But uh, obviously not, uh, not very happy. Uh, the Poles living in fear after the race killing, and they've got loads of Polish people here. I don't know why Harlow has turned into this dump uh, of feral people out there. And so families say they're living in fear. Well, it's up to the police to sort this out as quickly as possible. They've, uh, they've arrested some people. They're out on bail. They're out on bail. I can't wait to see them. But, of course, you know, whatever will happen, it'll either go to court or it won't go to court. I'm suspecting that they're looking for, you know, a particular person, somebody who, who dealt the fatal blow. That's what they're looking for. And they will probably rely on some of these people once they've been questioned, probably with their mummies and daddies present, or perhaps just their mummies, or just their daddies, we don't know. Uh, then they might uh, dob the other ones in. We'll wait and see, shall we? We'll wait and see. Certainly one worth watching. I mean, I would probably feel slightly aggrieved and also slightly frightened if you were Polish. But, as I say, how how did they know he was Polish? I don't think they knew that at all. I don't think they knew that at all. I just think they, uh, they were just racist. I think that's all they were. They were racist. Uh, come and visit Cromer, says Paul, in Cromer. Uh, obviously, you're not head of the uh, advertising department, are you? If it's a come visit Cromer. Actually, Cromer's famous for... Crabs. Cromer Crabs. I'm pretty certain. Cromer Crabs. And also, I've been to Cromer. And I'll tell you why I know I've been to Cromer, because I've got a picture of me, my mum, my two cousins, Stephen and Martin, and my auntie Ivy and my brother on the beach at Cromer, huddled round a windbreak. Because it was a, it's a fairly big beach there, and I seem to remember it was quite windy. It probably all built up now. This was a long time ago when I was allowed to wear Speedos. And, um, and I'll tell you why I remember it was Cromer, because that's the first place that we bought crisps. Golden Wonder Threepence. 3D. 3D. For those people old enough to remember, 3D, Chris. I'm looking at Cromer Beach now. Looks lovely. I'd li- Do you know, if I, if I lived in Cromer, if I lived in Cromer, I'd like an ice cream parlour on the front. And I wouldn't care. We must be the only country in the world that only does ice cream in the summer. It's got a pier. Now, didn't they use Cromer Pier for something? The Alan Partridge film. That's right. Chrome appear. And was it also was it also used for the Danny LaRue film, Our Miss Fred? We think we discussed this a while back, and I think it was the Danny LaRue film, Our Miss Fred as well. How lovely. Have we got the beginning of Chrome appear? I just want to have a... I know we're looking at sort of pictures of the pier. Have we got... We need to go round a little bit. I need to see... And then I'll know if it's the same thing. Oh, right. I think the front has changed a little bit. Yes, see, you see, see the second... Sorry, you have to bear with me, ladies and gentlemen. Go up, go up, that one there, that 
that's the bit I'm sure that Danny LaRue came out of. I'm pretty certain, pretty certain. Oh, how exciting. It doesn't look as though it's changed in years, does it? You've got no idea what I'm talking about at home, have you? I'm so, so I'm so sorry. Yeah, on the Wikipedia page of Cromer Pier, you have a look at it, and that's what I call a traditional seaside pier. You see, for me, I'd either like, on the end of that pier, a tea shop. A tea shop. And all we do is uh, is rolls. Just rolls. I know we get a lot of trouble with pensioners, but I'm having a look, actually. Pavilion Bar and Coffee Reef, open daily from 11. 11? Who wants a cup of tea at 11? People want it at 7 in the morning. That's what depresses me. You go out there and they go, oh, we don't open till eight. What do you mean you don't open till eight? I finish at seven. Please, please start opening earlier for all the people who, who want to, you know, eat something at this time of the morning. Proper seaside town and the only end of pier variety show in Europe. Yeah, but who is the variety show? That's what I'd need to. I need to see a cast list. Uh, my son-in-law is going to Dubai and he's a bit worried, says Dallas, because he's got a tattoo on his back of a crucifix. He's been told by the travel agent to wear a T-shirt and keep it covered. So if we keep to country's rules, why can't those who come here... Oh, listen, you could, you could argue that one till the cows come home. I, I seriously think you could argue that one. I don't know whether or not people would find that offensive over there. I don't know. I'm assuming they must have... Yes, I mean, I don't think they, they like you going... To... He's a bloke. They don't want you going topless. Funny that. They don't like you wearing shorts. Oh, well, that's all right. I don't wear shorts. So there's not much. Uh, well, I did yesterday when I was watering the uh, the plants. But uh, yeah, so, I mean, ju- you just have to ob- observe it. And just remember, of course, that unlike here, where people just sort of go, oh, you know, so, so, so. over there, they have people who act fa- fairly quickly. So just just beware. Just beware. Uh, Steve, I think that tracking device is called Track R, says Stuart. I think it only tracks if you're within 100 yards of the device. All right. Go on the train, Steve. You're determined to get me to Broadstairs, aren't you? Go on the train, walk down from the station in a straight line and you'll hit the beach. Running, I should imagine. Running. (laughs) Morelli's ice cream parlour is open all year round, says Jane. See, I think you should have an ice cream parlour and it should be the old-fashioned Knickerbocker Glories. uh, Those things with, um, uh, what's it, bananas on, which is good. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. I like a seaside town. I wonder if it's going to be worth going to a seaside town over uh, over the next few days. The answer is probably not. So I better tell you what the weather is at the moment, because I know you're going to start worrying about it. And uh, I did have the weather, and I've lost the weather. Honestly, things, things vanish from my screen. And because we get so many... I mean, did you realise I'm, I'm backing up at the moment... 15,000 emails. I don't... Oh goodness sake, sake, honestly. Small wonder I get headaches. Actually, it's a lie. I don't get headaches at all. <laughs> but I now can't find the weather. Wait a minute. I get all sorts of things. I get the most interesting things, and sometimes I get the most boring things. And uh, and you've only got to touch this... Because it's got so many uh, things on there, so many texts and emails, uh, it takes forever. You've only got to move the thing like an eighth of an inch... And you've sort of dispensed with loads of these blooming things. And I now can't find the weather. So it doesn't help, does it? doesn't matter, really. doesn't matter. You'll just have to, I'll, I'll find it a bit later on for you. Just, just bear with me. Uh, other stories in the, uh, the papers today. The BAs on course at KFC. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Uh, KFC workers can now flip between frying chicken and studying for a degree. Staff are being served up courses, including a BA honours in business management. It's quite a good idea, isn't it? I, I, quite, uh, I quite support that. It's a good idea. It's not very healthy, but I mean, what well, the food side of it is not very healthy. Well, it is if it didn't have that, that crispy coating skin. And, um, and I've just remembered as well, I had to tell you, price of a lottery ticket's gone up again. 
I think the Euro Millions, I think it's £2.50 a ticket now. I'm pretty certain it's £2.50. And I remember thinking, how did that one sneak in? It was like yesterday I went to Starbucks. And I, I do get slightly peeved. Because uh, loads of the staff in there know what I drink. But uh, they had a new girl yesterday. And I always drink extra, extra dry, extra shot. That means it's foam. OK, it's foam. I'm not a big milk drinker. I've had it occasionally. Not a big fan of it. It's OK. But I go extra, extra dry. Now, in their handbook, that's foam. It's as simple as that. And every time we have to waste it, she gives it to me. Uh, coffee, extra shot. And you pick it up and it, it weighs heavy. And I go extra, extra dry. You feel like saying you should have that taken out of your out of your wages because if you haven't learnt what it is yet, um, you know. And so that that annoys me. I get annoyed with silly little things now. I've obviously got to that stage in my life where I'm just getting quite quite grumpy. Um, oh, no, 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 no. oh yes, so two pound fifty for a lottery ticket for the uh, I think for Euro Millions because I'm sure I got a thing the other day on my phone going. Oh, there's been some changes to the lottery. I thought, where's that come from? And I'm sure it's £2.50. So I remember thinking, wait a minute, the odds of trying to win it now are nigh on impossible. So now they put up the price to either take the mickey out of you, uh, or failing that, it's, uh, it was a hoax thing. Has it gone up? It has gone up to £2.50. Isn't that from later this month? Isn't that outrageous? Isn't that outrageous? I'm sure the newspapers will pick up on that one later on. I mean, why not, why not make it £10 a ticket? Make it so much easier. Uh, eight minutes to six. My first guest on In Conversation this week, he's an actor. First came to prominence in Danny Boyle's 28 Days Later. Went on to play the Scarecrow in the Batman movie series. Other films include The Wind That Shakes the Barley, Sunshine and Inception. He gained a new legion of fans playing Tommy Shelby in the television crime drama Peaky Blinders. He's now back on the big screen in the World War II drama Anthropoid. It's Killian Murphy, and he told me what attracted him to the latest role. For me, it's always the script is first and foremost. It's the word on the page. Um, and, you know, I have this sort of metric that I use when I'm reading a script. And it's like if you sit down and you read the whole script all the way through, then then there's something compelling in it. And this one, you know, from page one until the, I closed it, it was like absolutely... You couldn't stop reading it. And um, and then I suppose the fact that it, these men actually existed, this story was real. And then um, I'd seen Sean Ellis, who's the director. I'd seen a film he did called Metro Manila, which for anybody who hasn't seen it, they should go out and see it. It's a really, really powerful piece of work. And I knew he was, you know, a properly talented director. So... So it was that and, you know, get to work with Jamie, Jamie Dornan, who at the time I was watching The Fall. Myself and my wife were really into The Fall. So it was kind of like one of those things where you go, right, this is what I need to do. That's Killian Murphy. Second time I've interviewed him. First time was on Peaky Blinders. And he's now starring in the new World War II drama Anthropoid. It's a true story. It's a true story that's, that's hard hitting, as you will discover. Uh, my next guests are often found on their sofa. In fact, they're always found on their sofa next to a well-stocked drinks cabinet and they're in front of the television. They are, of course, the stars of the hit television show Gogglebox. It's Steph and Dom Parker. So I had to ask them how they ended up on the show. Pretty much everybody that read the description on paper in the Radio Times or what have you just... Uh, are you kidding me? Well, I'd rather watch paint dry, blah, mm. blah. Quite an interesting sale, actually, when, when we were first approached. It was sort of, OK, so you, let me get this straight. You want to film me sitting on my sofa watching television? Yes. Um, OK, and you're going to pay me a little bit of money 
Yes. Okay, where's the catch? Yeah. Have we got to do it naked? <laughs> um, you know, can, can we have a drink? Problem, yes, you it? can have a drink. Okay, it's just a bit so tiresome. We do it all the time. Just, yeah. just bizarre. But it, it's yeah. it's a fascinating insight in, into into what's actually going on on the British sofas all over the country. Yeah, because what we end up doing is, as opposed to, we aren't interested in the programme, we're more interested in, in you. So people watch you to see how you react and, and what you, depending on what, what state you're in at the time, <laughs> as to what you think of a, of a programme. <laughs> and then when it goes around, around the country, we watch people and we think, oh, right, oh, I thought that as yeah, well. Yeah. I thought that. I find it's a very inclusive show. I think it's... it's the thing that I think that resounds from the show, especially at the time it came out, was that actually, when you break it all down, if you look at the, the show and the the, the, the contributors, um, all the sort of social demographics, if you like, of our country are, are fairly well represented. Um, and the reality is that we pretty much all think the same about the same stuff. Yeah. And I think that's very inclusive. Makes you kind of think, well, actually, no, I'm not going bananas. You know, I really... <sighs> I really have got it right because so and so up north says as well, and so and so in Wales says as well, and you know I think um, that was the surprise for everybody that how how alike we all are really. There you go, Stefan Dom Parker from Gogglebox, who are in conversation with me this weekend along with the actor Killian Murphy. You can hear me talking to them tomorrow morning from six after the best of Steve Allen. It's only an hour. We've managed to condense down all the good bits to an hour, and uh, so they'll be here, and then it's repeated on Sunday evening from 9 o'clock, and you can download it from the LBC podcast app. So that's Steph and Dom. Difficult to tell whether they were sober. We did record the interview very early in the morning. It was scheduled. Remember I told you it was scheduled for 8 o'clock in the morning, and I thought, blimey, that's very early. And they turned up at 7.30. But there was a fun... Oh, no, that's sad. It's all going mad. Uh, there, was, um, there was a very funny bit, actually, where they, after we'd done the interview, they had another one to do with Faye from our showbiz department. And, uh, and they said, uh, oh, sorry, the, the dog needs to go to the toilet. They brought their little dog in, Gigi. And they said, is there any grass outside? And I said, well, yes, we're in Leicester Square. And so they said, that's good. She said, we, we, we booked into this hotel the other night for doing this, this promotion tour that they're on at the moment. And uh, she said, we, we checked in, and I, and I said to the lady behind the counter, she said, I don't want to shout, she said, but uh, do you have any grass? She said, and the woman looked at me, <laughs> slightly disturbed. <laughs> but anyway, and if, if we'd done the interview with a bottle of wine, it would have been even better. It was a good interview, very good interview. Uh, Killian Murphy, as uh, Charlie Girling will tell you, I, uh, I sort of, I didn't drop her in it. She thinks I dropped her in it. I didn't. I didn't throw you under the bus. I thought about throwing you under the bus, but I didn't. But he did say at the end... He did say, I'm glad you didn't talk about that thing. So that's why I didn't mention it again. <laughs> Poor old Charlie, honestly. Never mind. Listen, you have the lie-in. You enjoy it. Go on, pull the duvet up on your chin. It's nice, isn't it? I like it, especially when you can find a bit of cold bed. I like cold bed. You know where you can find a bit of cold bed? That's very good. Uh, the other good story of the day is vegetarians. Now, I'm not a vegetarian. I could probably be a vegetarian, but I'm not thinking about it at the moment. They shed pounds twice as fast as meat eaters. So obviously meat holds us up. And I've always thought, as indeed have probably the rest of you, that if you're a vegetarian, it's all nut roast. And you eat a handful of nuts and walnuts and stuff like that. Whereas I do like, as Charlie Gurley will tell you, I do like a piece of meat occasionally. You know, not all the time, not all the time, just just very occasionally. But uh, I'm not sure I could go, I'm not sure I could go completely vegetarian. I'm hoping not, actually. I'm hoping not, but I, I might be wrong. Uh, somebody's written to me about uh, about Dubai. 
uh, and said it's fine. I've seen celeb wags there with their bikinis and tattoos showing and everything. People there are fine with stuff like that. It's Saudi you don't want to go to. Horrible country. Yes, they uh, they publicly flog for indecency and they have the, the Saudi police that go round. I think some woman said she'd seen a couple kissing in a cafe. <gasps> Slightly disturbed, aren't they? Slightly disturbed. So uh, in Dubai, you're all right. I think because I seem to remember uh, the, um, the, the sort of the wags... And that, that lower end of the market go to places like Dubai. And if they can put up with people like that, they can probably put up with just about anybody, I should imagine. Coming up to the news at six o'clock. It's Friday morning, the 2nd of September. It's Steve Allen with you until seven. Uh, Julie says we sold our small house near London, moved to Norfolk, close to Cromer, to a much bigger detached house. Cromer's lovely. We often go there for a fish and chip supper, watching the sunset over the sea. It's only busy during the six week holiday. Some lovely homes for sale. You'd live like a king. That's what I like to hear. I like value for money. Value for money is good. Anyway, it's nice to be company this morning. The terrified mum who snapped the horror scene. The teen gang in Harlow. Moments later, a Polish man is dead. The council in the cash scandal. The hit-and-run driver 16 times over the drug limit. And the most common surnames of the past 500 years. I wonder if yours is in there. And the asylum-seeker criminals. We can't get rid of them. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. Coming up to five minutes past six. It's Friday, the 2nd of September. It's the weekend. Hallelujah. Only a small week this week because you had the bank holiday Monday. And the uh, I'll get the weather for you, actually, because I have a sneaking feeling that you might have a little bit of rain. But that's no bad thing. Don't worry. We are, we are in Britain. It does rain, thank goodness, at times. The joy of the autistic boy in America. Uh, none of his school friends wanted to sit with him. So a footballer comes in, one of their, their local big celebrities over there, and says, can I sit down with you? And they've got a lovely picture. One of the teachers took a picture of this little boy who up until now is sitting all by himself. It's not right. They should have sorted that out a long time ago. Shame on the school. I decided to take the opposing attitude. Uh, the crook has been jailed for trying to blackmail a supermarket. I've hidden cyanide in there, he said. Let's hope we throw away the key. Uh, and the foreign medic's odd plea. Let me be an NHS doctor. I watch Casualty. What? I watch Casualty. I mean, heavens above, I've watched Blue Peter. I still couldn't make Tracy Island. If my life depended on it. The most common surnames of the past 500 years. I don't want to sort of insist that many of you listening might be fairly common. But I have a sneaking feeling it could be right. And the asylum seeker criminals allowed to stay in this country. And uh, we've got all sorts of people. Thank you for your texts and emails. David, who says the trackers are called Tile. And they do work in the UK. Do not get lost. I quite like the idea, though, David. I think they sound quite good fun, actually. Uh, Andrew says the Tile app is called the Tile app. Thank you. I knew you'd know. Uh, and Joe says, you're referring to the Tile app. They do work. Thank you. We're all getting this one. I'm, I'm going for this one. Uh, Carrie's got a Raymond Vile watch as well with a mother of pearl face. That sounds a bit exciting, doesn't it? Very classy. Uh, Duncan says, supermarket blackmails were frequent in the 90s. I've got a letter of thanks from Tesco for solving one. Connor says that he's got a nice garden shed as Connor. I like the idea of a garden shed. I think garden sheds are very, very in. You know, your own log cabin uh, kind of thing. And uh, he says the only positive thing about working nights is listening to Steve Allen show. Uh, Jonathan D'Souza. Do you think that's Jonathan? Is that Would that be Jonathan? Not Jonathan would be Jonathan, wouldn't it? He says, thank you for delivering a good talk show. It makes me sound like a pizza company. And, uh, and Vivian says, I'd like to see a Big Brother winner in 10 years. Yes, I don't think I would, actually. I'm hoping by that time they'll have dropped the programme. Uh, Damien says, uh, thank you for keeping me company during another night feed. I don't mind that, actually. I don't mind night feeds at all. Thank you for your uh, texts and emails. We'll try and get in as many as we can. I'm imagining how many people from the Vamps 
are listening, the fans are the vamps, ever since I got treated, uh, treated, tweeted by one of the vamps who held up a copy of my book, which was very nice indeed. Anyway, I'm with you till seven, just in case you're a new listener, you're probably thinking, good Lord, that show's far too quick. And, uh, and then the management go, listen, you know, we'd, we'd like to run through till seven. So lo and behold, I'm here till seven. We're very excited by it. Very excited. Weather for today and for the weekend. You, you might not. You might want to put your hands in your ears for this one. Mostly cloudy today. Mostly cloudy. Some spots of rain. Uh, overcast. Few heavier showers, although they will be quite isolated. And uh, some bright spells developing before sunset. That's generally the time I've I've pegged out. I'm afraid by that time I was going completely collapsed. Uh, the Tay's uh, high today. See, it's dropping, isn't it? Twenty degrees. Sunrise 6.14. Does anybody care? No, I never know why I tell you that. Overnight temperature 14 degrees Saturday. Bright start. Cloud thickening, bringing with it rain and strong winds by the afternoon. Batten down the hatches. Showers may be persistent and heavy in places, continuing into the night. So it's going to be Saturday that's going to be your wet day. So my, my idea is, if you want to do anything, do, do it today. Or Sunday, actually, through Tuesday. Sunshine and scattered showers. Possibly heavy, blustery showers on Sunday. Oh, God, it's always typical, isn't it? Always typical. Just when you sort of, you, you, you sort of go out there and you think, well, do a nice little walk around. You know, nice little walk around. Uh, 84850, oh, steve at uh, Another one here. Uh, this, is, this is an evil gypsy and his daughter who've been jailed for keeping a man as a slave... For 30 years. Brutal Christopher Joyce, 82, vile piece of work. And his family selected Nicholas Illiff from a hostel when he was 15, took him to their site, promising to look after him. He was ordered to work, and for 30 years they beat him. They took his, uh, his benefit money. They took about £130,000 in his name. They didn't give him a penny piece. When he tried to flee, Nicholas, who is disabled and had learning difficulties, was strung up from a tree with a hood over his head. Joyce and his vile sister, who's, I mean, it's his daughter, Mary, were sentenced to only 21 months in jail. Should have been a lifetime, shouldn't it, really? Pieces of filth. Another daughter, Helen, who played a similar role in a slavery in a traveller site in Oxford, was handed a suspended sentence. All three convicted of defraud and requiring Nicholas to carry out forced labour. Nicholas said, I'm still very upset about my time. I hope they get what they deserve. I hope they do as well. I hope they do as well. Vile people. I'm scared and nervous that they might find me. The judge said at Reading, the Joyces moved to the Redbridge site and the advantage of having Nicholas on site were numerous. Disgusting pieces of filth. Honestly, people like that. It's 21 months, not long enough. Not long enough. Has to be much longer, doesn't it? I think so. Uh, 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. And we read everything out on the programme. I don't like to miss anything at all. Why? Well, because we have to do it. Legally, we have to do it. If you send something in, unless you're particularly stupid, uh, then we have to do it. Have you ever thought of going on Big Brother? No, I've put this out so many times now. It's almost to the point of boredom, Chris. Uh, no, I don't do those. I don't do reality. I'm a radio presenter. I'm sorry, not a celebrity. I'm a radio presenter. OK, understand that? Good. Uh, if you want a typically unspoiled beach, go to Southwold. It's like Richmond-on-Sea. So very expensive then. Unspoiled beach, shishi shops and a lighthouse you can climb a pier. Oh, a lighthouse you can climb, sorry, and a pier that's got great, uh, great cafes. Oh, right, OK. That isn't necessarily the thing that makes it. That isn't necessarily the thing that makes a seaside resort for me. I can't think of anything that makes a typical seaside resort, apart from it not being very busy and looking a bit old-fashioned, but not as old-fashioned as Broadstairs, which appears to be stuck very much in the 1950s, according to the producer. So, uh, there you go. 
Uh, a lot of people talking about uh, the PC mob upset again. Corrie wasn't racist. This was after they mentioned Roots, and then they mentioned the name of the uh, of the actor. Uh, and somebody wrote a thing to me saying that my uh, my girlfriend. Oh, hang on, wait a minute. Thank you. Uh, my girlfriend uh, went from twelve to ten stone after becoming a vegan. When twelve stone, she was only a vegetarian. I've even met fat vegans, so being vegan and eating rubbish is not the answer, says Pat. I don't know anything about it, actually. I'm, I'm, I'm confused by vegetarian, vegan, and all the other derivatives of it as to what you're allowed to eat and what you're not allowed to eat. Seriously, I mean, I'd, so vegans can't eat animal products, so they, don't do, uh, they wouldn't do milk, they wouldn't do cheese, they wouldn't do butter. God, what do they eat then? What's left? Nuts. Nuts. They don't, there's not a lot left, is there? Are they th- is he thin, this person? He's, he's very thin. Not surprised you're not eating anything. I mean, if you eat milk and, and you eat cheese, then obviously you're going to put on weight. But that only must leave you nuts or something like that. Equal rights for trees, that's what I say. Give them back their nuts. Don't take nuts away from trees. That's pillaging the land. Are those people, we're going to live off the land. Yeah, of course you are. Of course you are. There was some man the other day, he was talking about, he, he, he lived on this island thing or something, and all he ate was rabbits. And they said, how did you catch them? He said, with my hands. Catch a rabbit? How on earth did you do that? He didn't have a knife or anything. He appeared to do it all... Anyway, sounded too disgusting, so I don't think we'll actually go into it this time of the morning. But uh, I don't have any problem with, with people who are vegetarian or vegan. or I, I really couldn't care less. I just wish they'd keep it to themselves. Why do people insist on telling you? I mean, I'm, I'm doing the, the Hairy Bikers on Monday on LBC for, for a future in conversation. And they've got a really super cookbook out. I mean, really super cook. It's got pictures. I just flipped open a cup. Like, oh, that looks delicious. Really, and I do like them. I like them as a couple. We've done them once before, uh, I think, for a Christmas programme. And they work well together. It's a bit like the, uh, the Top Gear team. They work very well together. Uh, Gaz says, I think the police should have a zero-tolerance crackdown on the teenagers and youths who continue to terrorise and make Luton a no-go area. As for seaside places, Weymouth? Um, I'm not sure about Weymouth. I can't remember if I've been there. I have to remember which seaside resorts I've been to. I went to Littlehampton once. Make up your own jokes. And that was all right. All I remember is going to the theme park and going on a thing called the Wild Mouse. That's what it was called because it was painted to look like a mouse at the side. It was just a little roller coaster. Or as we used to call them in my day, scenic railways. Scenic. There was nothing scenic about it at all. You'd be going around the top and then all of a sudden you'd plunge. Anybody over the age of 50 is going, you're so right. Why do we call it a scenic railway? I like the water ones where you went down and everybody got wet. That was always hilarious, wasn't it? Especially... Log flu. But also they, they did it. It goes around and go. And there's some, there's some on YouTube. Some on YouTube. Incidentally, my Ricky Gervais interview, as I pointed out earlier on, is on YouTube. We took Steve, our granddaughter, to Broadstairs a couple of weeks ago. You're only allowed to park for two hours. We walked towards the seafront, says Sharon. Got some fish and chips and then had a shock when we got to see all the stairs down to the beach. We're about 70. By the time we got to the beach, we could only stay for an hour. I wouldn't recommend it if you got bad knees. Luckily, I'm all right in the knee department. I think I'm okay in the knee department. The rest of me's falling apart, but the knees are good. And, and there is a lift down to the beach, apparently, I'm told. There is a leech. Oh, there is a leech. <laughs> Sorry, there is a lift. Honestly, sometimes your brain just gives up, doesn't it? Why would an attractive young woman want to wear a burqa, Steve, says Mick. They do seem to spend a lot of time on eye makeup, though. Yeah, well, you don't need to wear it. You don't need to wear it. There's nothing, you know, really don't need to. Uh, this weekend is... Uh, it's the lady time. We'll be doing the lottery. Looked at how much we were spending and decided to set up a standing order, says Sue. Still have a chance for a big win and the money is still available if we need it. Yeah, I mean, I, I still do the lottery. Uh, Danny LaRue, correct, Steve. Re-chrome appear in Armist Fred, says Patrick. Ex-Anglia TV. I was correct. 
I was. Do you know what? I thought I was. I thought I was, Patrick. And the reason I thought it was is because Danny comes out and he drives his car away from the front of the pier. And if you've never seen the film, it was the only film he ever made. And it's an op- it's a typical Danny LaRue film because he uh, he sort of he tries to play a man. And then he, he plays a man playing a soldier who dresses up as a woman. But it's all done a little bit, you know, as indeed he did watch your mates and all that kind of stuff. But then at the end, it's a Danny LaRue fest of proving just how good he was at dressing up as a woman and being able to walk in these things as well. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. 6.20. Stephen Dixon, who we mentioned earlier when he works at uh, Sky News. He worked here, actually, for a little while doing the newspapers. He says, I don't have any children with, with anybody, lesbian or otherwise, like it was a bad thing. He says, uh, I rather object to people making things up about me. I didn't think it was making it up. I seriously thought that was in the back of my mind. I'm pretty certain it was. But anyway, we checked on the internet and there was one bit, but it's been, uh, it's been taken down. So uh, it's not a bad thing, though, is it, Stephen? Would that be a, considered a bad thing? I don't think so. I think that would be quite a positive thing, actually. So uh, I, I love the idea that uh, he says, I don't have any children with anybody. <laughs> lesbian or otherwise well there you go join the club join the club but he is a diabetic in fact i'm i'm pretty certain he's a diabetic actually because uh, i'm sure i read something about being a diabetic but i'm sure in the back of my mind i'm sure there was something but as i say sometimes you know the brain plays strange uh, things with you Stephen. sometimes i sent him a thing back saying i'm so sorry perhaps it was somebody else i can't think of anybody else though because i've always i've always thought it was it was him at sky but there you go there you go one of those sort of things, isn't it? But it's a good thing. It's a positive thing to do. I don't think it's a bad thing. Make it out to be bad, and it's not bad. I attribute my weight, says Andy in Mansfield, to milk. Before drinking milk, I was £8, 4 ounces. Actually, milk is very fattening, isn't it? Milk is actually very bad for you. Well, I think it's very bad for you. I mean, I do have it, and I do have it in, uh, in tea and coffee. And occasionally, very, very occasionally, I've actually had uh, some... Milk, because I've just gone through that sort of phase when everybody says to me, don't drink milk, it's, it's not great for you. But then again, I've tried to cut back on cheese at the same time. Uh, Tile says, says, Adam, I've tried it, don't waste your money. There is another tracker. You put a SIM card that you load with credit. You phone the number, then it sends a text that gives you GPS coordinates. All oh, right. I just quite like the sound of it. It also wasn't very expensive, and that's what, I, that's what I liked about it. That's what I liked about it, the fact that it wasn't very, very expensive. We go to Chroma Steve three or four times a year. We're hoping to retire there. You get a fab breakfast at the Lifeboat Cafe. They open at eight, says Sue. Uh, Steve, read the, uh, the Brilla watch. It has a tracker installed, says Anna in Putney. Harlow Newtown, Grimm, says Jane. Shopping centre, equally so. I've been there loads of times. I've been there loads of times and I I actually thought it was okay, but I can imagine there would be an element that would come out of an evening time and go round on bikes and stuff like that. Best of both worlds in Cumbria, Steve. I live three to four miles from lovely St. Bee's Beach in one direction and similar distance from Ennerdale Lake. Clinton's fame the other way. The roads are rubbish, though. Thank you. Roads are rubbish. That's a problem, isn't it, now? Uh, Do you remember, Steve, when Golden Wonder Crisps, where the packaging was plastic paper-based and you could put them in the oven and the package would shrink? No, I do, well, I do remember that, actually. you could They, they just went like that, didn't they? Just like that. And uh, another one here, very quickly. Do you still get up early at the same time on a Saturday when you're not working? Yep, absolutely. Nothing you could do about it. I think it's, it's the way your body clock seems to work. Uh, Jane says, the other end of Broadstairs Beach, you can walk on from the promenade. Five steps, you can find cheaper parking as well. And uh, another one here says, uh, if anybody did what those travellers did to my handicapped sister, I'd be forced, says Andrew, to take matters into my own hands. 30 years they kept him a prisoner. 
Disgraceful pair of, of people. Disgraceful. Only 21 months prison. Awful. I've been a vegan, Steve, says Mina, for eight... No, for two months, I've lost eight pounds. I'm not a big person, but I'm happy being healthy. I don't count calories or fat, just sugars. Well, as a diabetic, I count sugars constantly. I think Steve uh, Stephen Dixon's a, a diabetic as well. I don't know which one he is, though. I don't know if he's a type 1 or a type 2 diabetic. You think he's 1? Is that 1 is worse, isn't it? I always think 1 is worse. I don't well, one, one is, well, yeah, yeah. What, they always ask you if anybody in the family's got diabetes, and I don't have any. Although, although my brother told me the other day he thought he was borderline diabetes. But I suspect that might just be uh, metformin or something like that. I think if you're Stephen, then you're probably, uh, you're probably, he's got type 1. He had it when he was 17. And it was 17. So there you go. I've only had it for about 12 years. But, uh, so he would inject the same as, uh, as I would as well. Uh, just finished the night shift on the M1, says Josh. And uh, Jane says, Dubai, oh my God, give me an ice cream, fish and chips, cup of tea and broad stairs any day. It's funny, actually, it doesn't tempt people, does it, Dubai? It doesn't tempt me. I've, I've had no inclination of, uh, of ever going to a place like that. I don't know why. It just doesn't, uh, just really doesn't interest me. Uh, another one here very quickly. We've got loads of these to uh, get through this morning. And um, where else have we got? Uh, dun, 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 dun. I'm trying to find the rest of this thing, actually. It's gone here. Oh, yeah, a lot of people talking about all these different apps that you can put on your phone. It's to try and trace your um, car or anything, really, your wallet or your bag, if you lose it. Uh, whether or not there is somebody pinches your bag, the chance of getting it back is pretty remote, isn't it? I would have thought. That's what I would have thought. Uh, other stories in the papers for today. John Thompson got more than cold feet when he filmed a sex scene. In the new ITV drama, he accidentally ended up with a bare bottom. Oh, dear. Mind you, we can have a lot of that shortly, aren't we? We seem to... Is that a dating programme still on? The, the nude attraction thing? Naked attraction? Have you seen it? Most... Oh, you watched them all. <laughs> put, put them on DVD, have you? It's the most peculiar programme. I couldn't quite work out why anybody would be remotely interested in watching. In watching it is, a, well, it's more than in your face. Depends how tall you are, doesn't it, I suppose. But it's, uh, it's, it's just odd. Who would ever want to go on television and, and take their clothes off? Oh, it finished last week. Oh dear. Is, it, is it coming back? I dread to ask. Is it, uh, do we know if there's a new series? And uh, so we can get excited about it. I mean, isn't that pushing television boundaries just a little bit too far? I mean, it made Babe Station look rather tame, I thought. Not that I've ever seen Babe Station, but I know, I know of it. I've sort of flipped through and I've sort of pushed the button. And I've had a couple of sherbets. I've pushed the button on the television remote and it's started counting back the channels as opposed to counting forward the channels. <laughs> so, uh, dear, I don't know. Well, the stuff they put on the television, but it's designed to make you watch it, isn't it? That's what they do. They put people on the television, people that you don't like, so that you will watch. We're not sure if there's another series coming up. Uh, of Naked Attraction, but there might be. But Sexbox, Sexbox is on it. That was the most boring thing I'd ever seen. I'd ever seen. I didn't, I didn't know what it was until I started watching it. As far as I can gather, it was a couple who went on television and, and, and did it on television with an audience in a box, with an audience watching. I mean, how ridiculous is that going to be? Oh, that's right. They, they only saw the box. And then they came out and talked about it. And I just don't... There's something a bit creepy about that sort of thing on the television. I think that should be... That should be relatively private, I thought. Well, I mean, that's what I thought. It was, uh, it's, just, it's just odd the way that television's gone, isn't it? It's, it's just very, very strange when you get um, 
sort of things like that. Type 1 diabetes is where the pancreas doesn't work, usually born with it. Type 2 is, uh, is it working a bit but not enough, so it can be managed by either tablets, insulin or diet. And borderline is not there yet, but if a diet is changed, can revert back to normal, says Dave. Yeah, I'm type 2, uh, but I'm tablet and insulin. And I'm assuming that Stephen Dixon is, is just insulin. So he'll have to check his blood sugars on a daily basis, because one of the guys in this building, as you know, um, a friend of mine, Mike, his, uh, his blood sugars are all over the place. I mean, seriously all over the place. You kind of sort of worry about it because you think just... I mean, some days he's very good. Other days it's it's terrible. Terrible. Uh, pictures in the paper. Obviously, the public uh, rallied round this one and took more pictures of the Smiler ride. This is up at Alton Towers. This is only 15 months after a crash which seriously injured five people. Now it's broken down again. Broken down again. And so people were left suspended twice yesterday. And also they said things had fallen off it. Did they check the? I mean, this is this. I mean, this ride I think cost eighteen million pounds, um, and I just don't really know. Yesterday, a witness at the park said some of the customers were left stuck on the ride for at least half an hour. Well, that would frighten the life out of me because you'd be so worried in case. I mean, I'm assuming it can't just fall off the rails, can it? I'm assuming it's sort of clipped in underneath. But if you look at the the thing, I mean, last year it was absolutely terrible. There's also the story in the papers, which is uh, running in. All of them, I think, today. The asylum seeker criminal allowed to stay. This is uh, an unnamed 31-year-old who committed 17 offences. He moved here from North Africa. His records include criminal damage, attempted robbery, drug crimes and shoplifting. He's a paranoid schizophrenic. They can't deport him because he's been declared stateless. So, in other words, there's nowhere to send him back to. So we're kind of stuck with him and he's out on the streets. That's what's worrying. A paranoid schizophrenic. And we can't do anything about it. We don't have places to put people like that now, do we? So we just have to sort of hope that he doesn't commit any more crimes. But as I say, he's got a bit of a track record already. Uh, Kim Jong-un executes another official. This time he slouched. I mean, you're frightened to move in that country, aren't you? So don't sit up straight. Because he saw him slouching and uh, they executed him by firing squad. You just don't want to go there, do you? You just don't... You really don't want to go there. I mean, I feel sorry for the people who've got to put up with that little fat bloke with a silly haircut. But, I mean, I'm safe saying that because I'm locked in this studio. I don't think he can get in here. Well, not the size he is, anyway. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. It's a bit dramatic, isn't it, really, when you think that Kim Jong-un, who is so mad as a fruitcake, will actually take somebody out for slouching. This one was with a firing squad executed. The one before that, though, was an aircraft missile. I mean, how far away from it do you need to be, I wonder? I mean, is this sort of seeing how much you can sort of... I mean, didn't he execute his own sister or something? I mean, he's, he's so mad, it's awful. I think one of his wives was executed as well. But this particular man, they must, he must have sort of thought, well, this is going to be interesting, isn't it? So they tie you to a post or something and fire an aircraft missile at you. Don't ever go to North Korea. It's obviously not the place. Uh, Steve, I remember when I was a young girl in hospital, there was a young girl in the next bed. She was unconscious after a fair ride. A piece of metal landed on her head. Uh, I've always remembered her, even though it was years ago. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's a bit... I don't know what to say about Alton Towers, actually. They're quite clearly... Their, their safety spec is not up to as much as it should be. I think it should really be, be much, much better, much better. Uh, Oscar King says, uh, Steve, if you read Persian Roulette, I do have a copy. He says, and then try Dubai. I think you'll love it, because he lives out in Dubai. 
and, uh, and he writes, and he listens to this programme as well. So not only do I have a copy of Persian Roulette, but I shall, I shall read it. I'm getting very bad and very lazy at not reading as, as much as I should be. I read it for the purposes of the programme, but if I don't have to read it for the purposes of the programme, I tend not to do it. And uh, another one here, and uh, a lot of people talk about these uh, trackers... A lot of people talking about the uh, the trackers. Gary Hales used to be an EastEnders, remember Gary? And he's a cab driver, like his uh, like many members of his family. He says a change is going to come. He's just sent a tweet out. Sold the cab. What? To do what? Ridiculous. Ridiculous. What are you doing? What are you doing? And uh, and then somebody says, have you had... Wait a minute, I've lost the thing now, actually. It sort of came a little while ago. It was something about a DNA test. Oh, Joanne Webb's tweeted... She was, she was laughing all the way into work, listening to the last hour of Darren Adam, which I thought was quite a nice thing to... What was he talking about in the last hour? Was phobia... Oh, phobias. People have got strange phobias. One person, I think the other day, had pigeons. Pigeons was a phobia. Mine, uh, if I was going to have a, a phobia, I'm not sure... I've seen people, you know, you know, they send them into the jungle and they go, well, just put this on your hand. You go, oh, please, God, no. And it'll be a tarantula or something like that. That I wouldn't want to do. That, but I, but I wouldn't be interested. And Darren doesn't... He doesn't like roller coasters. How? Oh, right. Because of the smile. Oh, right. You see, I can't understand a phobia about roller coasters. I told you I did see when I went to Blackpool. Yes, I've been. Only the once. And we went up the Blackpool Tower. At the top of the tower, they have a big piece of glass in the floor, which you can stand on. And if you look through, you can see the uh, the roof of a building, which is underneath you. And there was this poor girl who was quite clearly petrified. Quite, it doesn't matter if you said to her, listen, this glass is six inches thick. You could put an elephant on here and it would not crack. It's not a huge bit of glass. It's not like, you know, the size of a tabletop. It's much smaller. And um, it was interesting because she was sobbing her heart out. And her boyfriend's going, come on, let's have a picture taken. Of course, I'm, I'm trying to suppress laughter. And then I suddenly realised afterwards, she must have been absolutely out of her mind with worry. Out of her mind. It's like... You know, years ago, we do all sorts of things. As your kids, you know, your dad puts his hands together, you stand on them, and then he throws you into the water. You know, and you go, yeah, it's great. Well, of course, nowadays, I'm terrified of water. Seriously, there's nothing. Every time we get various people who write to me, they know who they are, um, Gary, and, and tell me about doing swims through lakes. Nothing on earth would get me to swim through a lake to get me to swim. And I'm bad enough swimming in the sea. I've not swum in the sea for years. I don't like things like that, but I don't have a phobia about it. I would have a phobia about... I did... I mean, it's like eating certain food. I've eaten frog's legs. I don't like them at all. I've eaten snails. Less, like them less. There are certain things that you just don't... If, if it moves, I don't want to eat it. Is there not a... Is it a fish or something that they carve in Japan? And you've got to have expert carvers. They have to be trained in it, because if you eat the wrong bit, you can die. And so people do it, because apparently it makes your mouth go all tingly. Why would you want to do that? Why would you want your mouth to go all tingly with the fact that it might be and keel over? No, no, we don't want to do anything like that. It's bad enough worrying about food in restaurants. As it is. I can't go to any Chinese restaurant that serves um, octopus or anything like that. Oh, no, not at all for me. Not my kind of thing. But I know many people like it. They say, oh, you've got to. Oh, right. Sold the cab to buy a new one. That could be a thought. I never thought about that. Catherine says, new listener. Mum got me hooked. If I don't hear you in the morning, I listen to the podcast at work. And CJ says, I know somebody who's got type one and he regularly uh, accu-checks himself uh, as to what I know diabetes is all about managing it properly. Yes, yes, it is. I mean, we, we all have uh, little meters which we can check our, uh, our, our blood sugars. But I think if you're type one, I think you have to check on a more regular basis. I know if I'm ill because I can feel it. I can feel it in my stomach. I don't know why. I don't know 
what it is, but it's just one of those things. Uh, see, my phobia, says Anna, is dogs. Yeah, I mean, I'm also a little bit funny about dogs. Not, not, that, not that bad. Not that bad at all. Um, another one here. A lot of people talking about the investment uh, in cycling. A lot of cyclists have written to the government saying we should have more investment and become more of a cycling country, I suppose, like Holland. Which, of course, is fine because there's not as many people in Holland and it's very nice and easy and you can go to Copenhagen and everybody cycles. You can't do it round here. Have you seen the way that people jump lights? You'd have people dying left, right and centre. People have no respect for... I'm not the biggest fan of cycles, as you know, but I don't think we should sort of do away with cars for the sake of cycles. I do see people pulling up... I mean, the worst thing is down on the Strand at the moment, and I think they're going to close it next week for some reasons. I might have to take the tube. But uh, it, it comes down to one lane. It's one of the main routes, you know, to get over to Waterloo, and it comes down to one lane. I've never seen anybody working. Never seen anybody working. And if you've got a cyclist, they've got to get out, and then you've got to get out, and then, oh, dear, bus drivers must despair, I should imagine. Must absolutely despair. Uh, Jan and Dave are in Florida, says John. They're avid listeners every day. That's what we like. We like avid listeners. Especially now it's till 7 o'clock. I'm expecting avid listeners till 7. And if you don't do it till 7, I shall know about it. And the reason I shall know about it is because it'll show up in the figures. So I'm expecting next time round for the audience figures, I'm expecting a nice little increase. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, The good news, women are doing less housework than ever. Because men can do it. It's not difficult, is it? You just go out there and you've got a a duster or a hoover or something like that. Um, The story of the, uh, the family's fury... The council uh, in one part of the country have put that dangerous tape thing on the gravestones of their loved ones. They didn't consult them. They just said that some of the gravestones were were dangerous because what you have to do when you if you go to a cemetery and if you know uh, they'll they'll lay the person to rest and then they go back because the earth settles. So you don't put a, a stone into the ground straight away because it would just sink down a little bit as everything as everything moves down a pace. And so you have to wait, and then they can sort of top it up, then you can put the stone in. Obviously, in this particular cemetery, they've got problems with even older stones, which probably start falling over. And if one of these things falls on you, it can do you a serious amount of uh, damage. The sun's setting on Eamon Holmes. He's decided he's going to go and make documentaries. I don't think it pays enough money, though. Does making a documentary pay as much money as Sky News would have paid? I, wouldn't like, I couldn't even hazard a guess at what Sky News would pay. I wouldn't, I wouldn't know. 250000 a year? Something that more than that? I, don't, I mean, I really wouldn't know. I really wouldn't know. I, I couldn't even work it out. I know what it is in radio, and that's why I'm sort of trying to gauge it. 250, I don't know, 300,000? He was poached, wasn't he, I think, originally, and went over there, and he's done it for God knows how many years. Practically a permanent fixture there. And so it'll be different not having to get up early in the morning. But, of course, if you do get up early in the morning, you keep wake up, keep waking up early in the morning. And the reason is you are kind of sort of stuck with it. Um, over in uh, over in Brentwood, Mark says he survived power chair football at the Brentwood Centre. They've been given 10 high-speed electric wheelchairs by the Essex FA. It's a great leveller as adults and children of all abilities can play. The football is large and you have to drive at it. Officially, it's a non-contact sport. He said, but true, I've not laughed so much in years. The really exciting thing is how much we've integrated with fitness in mind. Um with colleagues with mental health issues. So that's it. I I quite like the idea. I quite like the idea. It's a bit sort of non-contact, isn't it? It's a bit like sort of doing bumper car riding or something like that. Uh, Steve, I'm not scared of spiders, mice or snakes, but I'm terrified of moths and butterflies. Isn't that funny? I'm terrified. Well, actually, if I was terrified of anything, we're all terrified of something. All terrified of something. I'm sort of probably 
in the wasp department. I don't, I don't think wasps like me very much. I'm pretty certain they don't like me. Uh, Smile Kate, front page of the Sun this morning. It's for one's selfie. And it's William and Kate going out doing something. He's obviously given up with the helicopter thing, so we're just sort of doing this now. And there's a, a builder trying to get a selfie, and William is heard saying, won't get a very good selfie. Because people like doing selfies. I see people all the time doing selfies. The TV chef Fury at Drugs Orgy Heist. This is a businessman, friend of superstar chef Marco Pierre White. Is that the one with the druggy son? Oh dear, no superstar chef there. He uses North Stock Cubes. I mean, real chefs don't do things like that. Unless they really need the money. So he's just, he's just a chef, OK? Anyway, uh, this businessman friend of his was robbed of £200,000 in cash and jewellery by a celebrity at a drug-fueled sex party. Furious Marco had introduced his mate to the star, who is said to have threatened guests with a knife before raiding a safe at a West London flat. What a bizarre story. Who is person? Who is this person? Marco's pal, crack TV celeb, a hooker, sex party and £200,000. What was Nick from the Chelsea flat? Four expensive watches, large sums of cash, prescription drugs, Gucci suit jacket, black jeans, two tubs of ice cream, four packets of crisps, peanuts and a packet of sausages. How bizarre. £186,000. This was in Chelsea. And this celeb... Well, who is this celeb? Who is this celeb? Are they? Uh, all they've done is just say he can't be named for legal reasons. Why not? Who is... I'm fascinated to find who this celeb is. Who, who thieves from people. Who's, uh, who's obviously a drug-crazed person. A drug-crazed celeb. Who would that be? The only person I can think of who's on drugs is his son. I can't think of anybody else. But there again, you wouldn't call his son a celebrity, would you? So I think that's highly unlikely. Uh, Lots of pictures of uh, Victoria Beckham in the papers. Once you've seen one, you've seen them all. This is her sitting on an unmade bed. You can make up your own jokes, I'm quite sure. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. 13 minutes to uh, 7. Ian Dale with you this morning. He's been sitting in for Nick Ferrari all this week. As a report arguing the case to scrap corporation tax is released, could abolishing the tax benefit our economy in the long run? Junior doctors announced three more five-day walkouts in October, November and December. Do they have your support? According to the papers, no. And also one in three doctors... Uh, are not in favour of this at all. I think they said one in three doctors. And then it turns out that there's one of these firebrand junior doctors or doctors who's the one who's determined to bring down uh, the government. One in three doctors support the strike. That's it. One in three. So uh, two thirds don't support the strike at all. I don't think anybody supports it, do they? Why would you support something like this? Thousands of operations being cancelled. I mean, just how bad are these conditions that they've got? Uber wins the right to take TfL to court over rules which would see drivers forced to take a £200 English exam. But whose side are you on? The CEO of minicab firm Addison Lee will give Ian his view. Plus James McCrory, who's the co-executive director of Open Britain, will be in the studio to take a look through this morning's papers. That's all with Ian Dale. Uh, In for Nick Ferrari at breakfast for the final time this summer. For the final time this summer. Has summer finished now or something? Or is that the final time? Oh, right. That's it. Summer's gone. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. And uh, he's with you just after the news. At, uh, at seven o'clock. So, Hinton Smith, these are the names which are in the papers today, the most common surnames over the past 500 years, uh, which is very interesting because I tell you how many people are called this as well. So, at number 25, Harris. Harris is a very common surname. Lewis, Turner, Jackson, found you yet? Hughes, Wood, Edwards, Green, Walker, Hall, White. Thompson, Wright, 
Robinson, Roberts, Wilson, Johnson, Thomas. Number seven, Evans. 651,000 people called Evans. What's the betting? Most of them are in Welsh Wales. Uh, Davis at number six. Brown at number five. Taylor at number four. Williams at, uh, at number three. And that's got 1,077,000. Then you jump up to Jones. 1,650,000. Top name, Smith. Which is 2,005,000. Two million. You see, I thought, would not Patel be in there? Or Singh? Or something like that? I'm sure these names were in there. I know it's over the last 500 years, so that's why, probably. And they, they, it's a study of 34 million people. Study of 30, so still the most common name is Smith. So it's either you, you look on it in terms of it's very, very common, or you're quite pleased with the fact that, uh, that you've got a name that's still number one in the list. Smith. Smith and Jones. Always works very well, doesn't it? Uh, Liz says, what a, what a goodness, what to do to listen to you, who I love, till seven, and miss a couple of other people on the other channels. Oh, Liz, it's not even a competition, is it? I think, I think you, have to, you have to ask yourself the question, what other channels? Okay, there is no other channel. It's as simple as that. Uh, Sam says, uh, no, not for cyclists, please. Definitely not. Uh, it says uh, they don't use cycle paths half the time. Uh, many area, many uh, are arrogant menaces. Right. OK. So I'm not, sh- I'm not sure, actually, about that. I'm not sure about uh, being, you know, cyclists in London, because cycling in London is completely different from cycling anywhere else. Anywhere else. I don't cycle. Far too dangerous. I've tried it once. Thank you very much indeed. But you do get people cycling on the pavement. You do get people jumping lights. I see it on a daily basis. I mean, it's supposed to be illegal, but uh, unfortunately, you know, the police don't exactly have the time to do that. CJ says it was Steve Allen till 6.30 and then somebody else on another radio station. Now I'll have to miss half an hour of one of them. I don't think there's any competition, is there really? I want to sort of lay it out to you, CJ. I think it's a fairly foregone conclusion that the other people just have to miss you for another half an hour. Okay, because if it doesn't, I'm sending the boys round. Only one in three doctors supporting the strike. Uh, The Royal Colleges attack the walkouts. Militant says, let's break the Tories. And the militant that they've named and uh, shamed, if naming and shaming is the real world, is uh, a woman here, Dr. Ellen McCourt. Uh, she's left-winger, according to the papers today. She ranted that the leak to the Daily Mail had put the plans for action at risk. She's obviously somebody who sort of, they want more, and so they've now come up with all these these lists of strike days. Uh, Dr McCourt, who's mother Kathleen, was awarded a CBE for services to nursing, describes herself as left-leaning, and says that after experiencing long hours and understaffing three years ago, she decided to stop being angry and moaning about everything and try to change things that uh, she graduated some years ago, worked some weekends, including 13-hour shifts on Saturdays. I mean, obviously, you know, it's it's the job that people want to do. If you don't want to do it, go do something else. Go do something else, because there's loads of people who'd be willing to jump into people's shoes. You know, the risk, and one consultant said the other day, said, you know, there is the chance somebody could die. And who's going to get blamed? He said, we are. We're going to get blamed. And yet, if they actually did a proper ballot, you know, a proper ballot... Not just sort of saying, I mean, if, if the papers do a ballot, and I understand the leanings of certain papers, but I would, I would love to find out exactly, you know, how many people were actually balloted and how many people uh, will actually be voting for this. I mean, do people vote? I think in a lot of cases, it's almost a little of uh, bully boy tactics. I think so, actually. Uh, 84850, uh, A lot of people talking about, who was it the other day talking about um, police officers being armed? 
And I said, well, quite a number. I mean, I was at Waterloo Station the other day and two police officers with machine guns were walking up and down the platforms, which is something that I, I have seen on a few occasions. Not, not many occasions, it has to be said. But we've, we've learnt... Oh, right. So police on the trains in Scotland are going to get tasers. You see, I mean, I think a taser... I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm slightly dubious about tasers because I think if you've got a dodgy heart and a, this, these two probes hit you, and they seem to go through most things, don't they? I don't know where they're supposed to aim for, but, you know, and it takes you down. Could they not... I mean, would not a pepper spray be a bit safer? We have had people who've died through tasers because if you've got a dicky heart and somebody fires... What are you supposed to do? Imagine saying to him, don't, don't fire, I've got a dodgy heart. But I suppose that's the end result, isn't it? They've said, stop, or we're going to taser you. They do kind of warn you whether or not they're any good at it. I've got no idea. But uh, I think I've seen people pepper spray, but I saw a police officer the other night who pepper sprayed somebody and it came back into his face. And he went, whoa, God, these things do work, don't they? Uh, doctors at war over the junior strike plan. This is the headline for the Daily Telegraph this morning. Also, the Duchess's farming fantasy. She'd revealed she'd love to work in agriculture. Whilst talking to somebody of the Wadebridge Young Farmers on a visit to Newquay in Cornwall, she said she'd secretly like to be a, a young farmer. Yeah, I just don't see uh, William on the land, do you? I, really, I don't see that kind of thing. I think he's sort of better off sort of doing his helicopter, but he appears to have sort of left that to one side at the moment. So how many days a month he's working, we're not too sure at all. Um, Davis, this is uh, David Davis, uh, says Britain can have it all after Brexit. It's interesting, when we... Uh, talk, as we will probably next week on In Conversation to Geoffrey Archer. We ask him about Brexit and I ask him his, his opinion on, you know, in or out. And believe it or not, as in the case of a lot of families, his wife was totally opposed to what he was saying. He was Remain. She wasn't. Uh, military charities, front of the Times, accused of inflating combat stress problem. And uh, this is to raise funds. Ed Parker, chief executive of Walking with the Wounded, which is supported by Harry, said that PTSD was being used to inspire donations because charities could no longer rely on images of soldiers suffering physical injuries on the front. Also, Claire Foy and Matt Smith, seen as Elizabeth II and the Duke of Edinburgh, in uh, The Crown, Netflix's £100 million biopic. £100 million. You can't imagine somebody spending that much, can you? And stop strikes now. Senior doctors tell BMA chiefs, we've had enough... Junior medics are warned. Yes, it's the junior medics. Also, the National Trust under fire for the Snowdonia hydroelectric plan. Uh, The British tea causing a stir in China. This is the cool, wet uh, climate, which is actually giving uh, exports a huge boost. It's interesting, isn't it, really? And uh, clothes made of plastic are the epitome of cool. I haven't got any clothes made of plastic at all. But the good news is that we're going to get... A famous American artwork coming to this country. Now, I've, I've known about this picture for ages and ages. It's by Grant Wood. It's called American Gothic, and it pictures... Uh, it's done in the 1930s. I think it's on wood. It's never previously in North America, but it's coming over here uh, to be seen for the first time outside of America. It's at the Royal Academy, and it's of the man holding a pitchfork and his wife, and behind them is a, is a church. You'll know it because it's an iconic picture. One of 15... No, sorry, 45... One of 45 works that make up the Royal Academy of Arts exhibition on America during the period after Wall Street crash, entitled America After the Fall. So that picture is, I wouldn't even like to imagine what it is. But if you've never been, you know, to go to the, go to the National Portrait Gallery, go to all these places, which are literally just down the road from us in Trafalgar Square, you'll see pictures that you go, is that original? 
Seriously, they've got all sorts of things. I mean, some taking up entire walls. And well worth going. Really well worth going. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, Have you done your DNA test? Says uh, one particular lady. Um, This is for ancestry DNA, where you can you send it off because it's interesting to find out what your family tree would be. The answer is no, I haven't. No, I haven't. Uh, The dangerous fish, Damien tells me, uh, is is called fugu. It's a Japanese puffer fish. Uh, Sim, he says, I'm sorry, Steve. I'm a loyal listener to somebody else at 6.30. Don't start on that one, Sim. Don't start on that one. We could fall out, actually. Especially as he's not live at the moment. OK. Uh, Carol says, thrilled with the new expanded show. Two and a half hours flew by too quickly. Loving the three-hour show. Good. Well, I'm here tomorrow as well because I'm a seven-day-a-week boy. Uh, really a seven-day-a-week boy. So I'm here tomorrow morning and we'll have the best of Steve Allen between five and six. Between six and seven, it's in conversation. And I'm here Sunday morning between five and seven. Follow me on Twitter, at Steve Allen Show. Don't forget, you can listen to LBC whenever you want, wherever you are. You can download the free LBC app for your mobile or tablet. Never miss a moment. Leading Britain's conversation at ten, it's James O'Brien. Next in for Nick Ferrari at breakfast. Have a good weekend. It's Ian Dale. If you enjoyed this podcast, listen to Steve Allen live from 4am Monday to Friday and Saturday and Sunday from 5am.